this is We'll Shift Dust, a Silo TV podcast, back with your breakdown of Silo, Apple TV Plus's sci-fi thriller based on the books by Hugh Howey. We are your hosts, Alicia Brenner and Luke Middick. And we are your flame keepers this week, revealing all the secret histories. This is your official spoiler warning. We will be discussing episode seven of Silo and everything leading up to it. And I will be discussing the equivalent parts of the books, but probably, yeah, definitely a bit less this week because uh, we're going pretty far off book in this episode. But don't worry, I won't be spoiling any of the twists and turns to come. We aren't watching ahead, and I want to make sure that Luke and any listeners at home who are new to the story experience all the reveals fresh in real time. And honestly, with the show building out the world of the book so much, I often don't even know what's coming yet either. Um, Luke, what were your overall thoughts about this week's episode? Did you like it? Well, firstly, kudos to you, Alicia, because you were absolutely right about what the Flamekeepers were. You were using a bit of inside Potawatomi knowledge there to uh, to figure out that the, the Flamekeepers are the keepers of the true history of the silo. I think we found out that... But I didn't expect it to be Gloria. But you didn't expect it to be Gloria. Okay, mm. so so partial credit there, yeah. partial kudos. Um, I think we found out that the rebellion probably happened in some form or other because when Gloria was talking to Juliet, she's sort of describing the events that led... We Well, it sounded to me like she was describing the events that led up to the rebellion. So I we've been wondering whether or not that was apocryphal. I think this this episode sort of tilts me towards thinking that something happened. happened. Yeah. Okay. Um, we know that Sims was the man that was woken up in the middle of the night last episode. I was totally wrong there. And I think a bunch of book reader heads imploded at this information. Yeah. So that leads to a whole bunch of questions, but we'll get there. We'll get there when we get there. Um, overall, I like the episode. It did very much feel like an episode where, you know, characters and plot points were being moved into place right. for sort of the final three episodes of the season. It did feel like this was an episode in which sort of the storylines were shifting, so we're getting everything in place for the final three episodes. Yeah, um, I I didn't love this one as much as last week's, and I think that had a lot to do with like the directing felt a little rougher, less cohesive to me for some reason, but I did, I loved the story and the reveals. Um, like I said, I noticed this is one that's dividing book fans uh, as it goes even further from the books in some ways, but it also brings in some ideas from later in the series. So yeah, there's a lot of people having a lot of feelings about that, understandably. Um, for example, this was the first week when I didn't have any passages from the book that I wanted to read. Uh, the bits I would most want to read based on what we learned in this episode, I would consider spoilery because they come from later in the series and refer to other things. So, yeah, we're pretty much completely off book this week, and I don't mind it as a viewer. I love that they're keeping me guessing, even though I generally know where things are going. Yeah, I can tell from the rest of the season we'll be back into the book, book plots, and I'm so excited to see new fan reactions. Um, Luke, seems like most non-readers are quite happy with this week's episode, with all the reveals, and uh, even though they're not the ones book readers are waiting for. Would you say that's accurate? Yeah, I mean, it certainly it certainly moved a lot of things forward. I'm glad we got the payoff as to who the guy they were waking up was. I'm glad they didn't sort of tease us right. for the remainder of the series with that. I think there are there are a lot of questions around that being Sims and what that means. And of course, we see uh, we see Daddy Dearest Doctor Nichols right. in Glen um, back again. 
and seeing the solo is making a habit of killing off its killing off its characters. I have to say, I would give Doctor Nichols very short odds Not on making Daddy. on make on making it. I was going to say making it to the end of the series, but actually probably making it to the end of episode eight. If I'm honest. Wow. Okay. Yeah. All right. Predictions coming hard and fast. Yeah, I think, yeah, I have a lot of predictions that I'm not going to share for the last three episodes, but um, I can, I think that they're lining up like the big reveals that uh, book readers have been waiting all season for, and they're just going to like knock them down like dominoes through the rest of the season and beyond. Okay. But yeah, shall we dive into the many juicy reveals from this episode? Yeah, let's do it. All right. We're going to get into that right after a quick commercial break. Your regularly scheduled breakdown will begin in three, two, one. This week's episode, the seventh of the first season, was called The Flame Keepers. Now, yeah, we talked a little bit about what that turned out meaning, and obviously we're going to be getting into all of Gloria's reveals. This episode was directed by Bert and Birdie again, the same female directing duo I was raving about last week, so I don't know why the directing felt off to me. Um, I think maybe because the comedic side wasn't there this time. Uh, you were saying it's a transition episode. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think they had a they had a lot of character building and a lot of plot to get through in this hour. So I, I think the fact that the comedy wasn't there, I think that's just a function of we have to get from point A to point B to point right. C to point D in this episode. So we've got to kind of strip everything out and keep it kind of focused. Yeah, that's probably what it is for me, because last week I was just enjoying them so much, like leaning into the characters. But I know other people find that too slow. So. Uh, hopefully they're happier with this one was definitely faster paced, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I mean, I've I've never had a problem with the the pacing of the show. And I know people in the Discord and people we got feedback from have issues with it. But I think I think the if it is maybe a little slow at points, I think that's to do with the fact that this is season one of a new series. And if you're going to do this kind of fairly hard sci-fi successfully, then you do have to do quite a bit of world building and work out the rules right. of engagement. And let the audience know what the logic of, or the sort of logics of the world you're building are, so that then, then in later seasons, the audience knows where it is, knows where the characters are, knows what knows what's possible and what's not possible in right. the confines of this world. So I think it's just, to be honest, I've always just taken the way it's paced as this is the first, this is the first season of at least a three season show. And the showrunners are just getting the audience acclimatized to the world of the silo. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, and they're definitely broadening the world building for the show versus the book where um, it's, I mean, there's a lot of world building in it, but it's uh, more plot driven, you know, with the world building just feeding into the plot driving forward. Mm. There was one nice scene, it wasn't quite comedic. But I thought it was quite sweet with um, Billings' wife bringing him his lunch. Yeah, definitely. He'd forgotten his lunch. Yeah, yeah, they're sweet together. Yeah. And so credit for that and writing the rest of the episode goes to Jessica Bear, who's also done writing for other shows like Sneaky Pete, Masters of Sex, and Becoming a God in Central Florida, none of which I've seen, but all of which I want to see, uh, especially Becoming a God in Central Florida. I've heard a lot of good things. Yeah, I have to watch any show called Becoming a God in Central Florida. That's just an elevator pitch for the, for the ages. <laughs> That's just good marketing, yeah. It is. <laughs> Um, yeah, we'll obviously be getting into the many big reveals this episode, but we already open with the woman who drops most of them, Gloria Hildebrand, played by Sophie Thompson, who I just found out yesterday is actually Emma Thompson's sister. 
Okay, I was going to try and act surprised, but the fact is, this is the second time we're recording this now. Just, just t- take my word for it. I was surprised the first time. It's, it's true. I can vouch for it. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, she's a fertility counselor who told Allison in the first episode that the doctors weren't really taking out the birth control for curious, less docile women like them, who we we now know she's also George's aunt and the previous owner of the Georgia Guidebook for kids that's now in Juliet's possession. Uh, We see Gloria in what seems to be a waking dream on a beach with the husband she lost uh, when she couldn't have kids and the child they were never allowed to have together. She wishes that she could hear and smell what it's really like to be on the beach, but all she knows is what she saw in that guidebook. So we see her surrounded by images from the book, uh, even fingering one of the ammonite shell fossils from the pages, the same George got tattooed on himself. But everything, like the lighting, the glassiness of the ammonite, it all feels a bit off. Uh, what do you think's happening here, Luke? Yeah, so you you did a um, crossover with John and David from The Lawhound. And they were talking about all the other shows it reminded them of. And one of the shows that came up was Westworld. And they were talking about that in the context of the opening credits. But this particular scene reminded me of any number of scenes from season one and two of Westworld when Maeve was having flashbacks of her life with her daughter in that it's all... Everything we see is in Gloria's imagination. None of this is coherent. None of this actually happened to her in this lifetime. So it's all its all sort of an internal, idealised version right. of something that never happened. And there's a quality to the way that scene is shot where it's, it's not a beach. It's somebody's imagination of what a beach would look like. Right. Based on a picture based Mm -hmm. on a 2D image. I thought that was actually really well done because the scene telegraphs that, yes, it is a beach, but it does get across in the visual language that it's not a real beach. It's not a memory. Right. It's not a memory that Gloria is having. It's it's a fantasy. Yeah, it's a fantasy. It's pure imagination to, to quote Willy Wonka. Yeah. And her pure imagination is interrupted by a rude nurse named Amy, uh, played by Jacqueline Bersis, um, who walks in, interrupting the scene to give Gloria a syringe full of something shady. But we see that Gloria is in some sort of long-term care facility, disconnected from reality, raving about how she wants to get back to her daydream of the beach. Now, if you pause later, you can see that the drug she's being given is lorazepam. And uh, I'm just going to quote Wikipedia here because a few things stood out to me in the list of treatments. Lorazepam, sold under the brand name Ativan, among others, is a benzodiazepine medication used to treat anxiety disorders, trouble sleeping, severe agitation, active seizures, including status epilepticus, alcohol withdrawal, and chemotherapy-induced nausea and vomiting. It is also used during surgery to interfere with memory formation and to sedate those who are being mechanically ventilated. Does anything there stand out to you as well, Luke? Well, it's definitely being used as a sedative in um, this context. And the fact that it blocks memory formation is is interesting as well. There are two things that stood out to me in this scene. One is, why are they keeping Gloria alive? Like, if she is as dangerous to the janitors as they seem to think she is, why is she, why did she not meet with an untimely accident or, you know, a, a, a convenient heart attack or something? Yeah, I mean, I think 
I mean, I think there may be the silos may be slightly less sinister than uh, the picture in your mind, because I think, you know, even when they do kill people, they do it because they think they have no other choice, you know, except Trumbull, he messed up and that's why he had to die. But um, they don't want to cause unrest. Uh, They want to keep things peaceful and calm. They're not just like being evil for the sake of being evil. And if they can just shut Gloria up with some lorazepam in a back room, then why not just go for that solution? Yeah, I guess. Um, And I get that the janitors can't just be going around killing people off. But Gloria and the whole concept of the Flame Keepers does seem like exceptionally dangerous to what the janitors are trying to do. And they clearly do have a degree of ruthlessness. So my money is still on. They need her alive for some reason we're not aware of yet. Okay, okay. Um, and the other thing that was interesting is that, that the silo provides like long-term palliative care because I'd kind of assumed that maybe it was kind of, that there was a maybe a sort of Logan's Run type situation going on. As in long the as side. it's not Soylent Green. Yeah, that's what Logan's Run type situation going on in the silo where if you had some kind of where once you'd reached a certain age and if you had some kind of incurable illness, they would just sort of, you know, come along in the night and give you a shot or something. But clearly that's not what's happening. No, I mean, I know that comes out of the Nazi playbook, but um, we've seen a lot of elderly people, you know, uh, we saw we saw Juliet's brother. He clearly had some ongoing illness uh, and, you know, I don't see the Nichols ever surrendering him. Uh, I think that, That's true. That's true. I think it again comes down to what just keeps people docile and happy, and it's not killing grandma in general. Yeah, that 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 is true. But I still think it's interesting that the silo had that the silo that takes such care over population management has um, has the idea of like long term um, palliative care. I thought that was interesting. Hmm. Um, so the last thing Gloria says in this scene after she gets stuck with the lorazepam is, "I have to find them." what do you think she means by them? Do you think like her imaginary family, relics, George? Any and all of the above. It might well be some combination of all of that because she wasn't she wasn't just hallucinating anything. She was hallucinating something from that book. Right. So what you know, however much they've tried to mess with her memory, she still remembers that book. Right. She still on some level remembers who the flamekeepers are and that she's a member of them. Right. So I think it's probably some combination of reality and fantasy at that point. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And we then cut to Juliet looking at exactly that beach page of the book in question. Uh, She then opens to the front cover and we see the names of the previous owners of the book written in them. Like we used to write our names in books in grade school. Which kind of strikes me as really cheeky, considering, you know, this is a highly illegal relic. <laughs> and you're just putting your name in it. Like, yeah, no, I definitely owned that at one point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is a good point. Although maybe the, maybe this is the silos, like, version of present tats, you know, yeah. sort of gang membership or something. <laughs> yeah, I'm badass. I got my name in a relic. I got my name in a book. <laughs> <laughs> There's pictures of outside. You can't even <laughs> handle this book. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and I mean... I don't think Juliet, I think Juliet probably, well, not probably, Juliet certainly came up to be sheriff to solve George Wilkins' murder. And that's still the main thing that's driving her. But I still, I I think we're now starting to get Juliet being more interested in the bigger mystery of the silent. Right, 
And I think we have people like George to credit for that. Yeah. Speaking of whom, yeah, I think that the reason they write the names in the book from like a considering the viewer's perspective is just probably to like remind us of the chain of possession of this book. And also maybe there's an Easter egg hidden in there. So on the right side, we see the most recent owner's names. So these are people we know, uh, Gloria, Anne, who would be George's mom then, and George. But on the left side, we see previous owners, uh, and these are new names to us. The top one is hard to read, but looks like something like Blau T. And then the other ones are Amelia C, OBJ, and Melody. Um, and Amelia C is underlined, drawing the eye to it. And people are speculating online that the C might stand for crow, a name that should mean something to book readers. But we'll have to wait a while to find out if there's anything to that. Okay. And then we see Juliet, uh, Rebecca Ferguson, by the way, who she pulls George's file out of the oven to remind viewers that Gloria was interviewed about her nephew's relic collecting before his death. Luke, I'm guessing that oven doesn't get much use. No, I'm I'm guessing Juliet likes some takeout. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think we've seen Juliet eat the entire season. Well, we know she doesn't like mushrooms. So well, yeah, we know she doesn't that. like we know she doesn't like mushrooms. Girl after my own heart. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But do you think Holston did any cooking after Allison died? No, I'm and again, I'm guessing, I'm guessing Holston ate all his meals in the cafeteria. So that that oven yeah. probably hasn't been used in a good long while. Yeah, might as well put files in yeah, there. Yeah, might as well. <laughs> um. So, but as Juliet's about to dash out the door to go look Gloria up, she finally notices that the flowers have been laid down in front of the mirror, and the vase is gone. Uh, when she gets to the sheriff's station, she gets a message that maintenance apologizes for breaking her vase and is getting it repaired. Juliet is understandably freaked out, wondering why they were in her apartment in the first place, though Bernard, Tim Robbins, warned her before, and Billings, Chinaza Uche, warns her again this episode that maintenance doesn't like when people get in the way of what they deem to be their work. We we don't question maintenance or all of yeah. a sudden your toilet stops working. I mean, what do you think the deal with maintenance is? They must work for janitorial, right? I'm guessing so at this point. Um, I do like Juliet's comeback with that in Mechanical. We just fix it. We just fix it ourselves. We just fix it ourselves. And actually, that that is interesting. Cause does that imply that maintenance only go only works so far, like down in the silo? Is there a point at which? I mean, I think in the down yeah. deep, there's just less oversight in general, you know? Yeah. Got Lucy Goosey, Deputy Hank, and, you know, uh, yeah. people kind of take care of themselves and the Yeah, like, like increasingly, it does seem like the down deep is its own little world within yeah. the silo. If it were yeah. Star Wars, the down deep would be the outer rim. Yeah, exactly. It, it would, the wild it would, west of the silo, yeah. It would be, it'd be Tatooine, yeah. Right. Yeah, I, I do hope that there's more clarity coming on how these groups fit together, though. Like, I assumed that our painter Patrick Kennedy was part of maintenance, but is he? I guess not. Would that mean anything if he were? Would that mean that he knew anything? Like, and the guy who opened Trumbull's apartment last episode to, uh, to be searched, he was credited as a custodian. So where does that fit into yeah. the bigger picture? I have questions. They're being exceptionally specific with the language they're yeah. using to describe these people. And there has to be a, there has to be a reason for that. Yeah, which I find interesting because, like, I've been reading tweets on Twitter and, you know, also, like, read tweets in, in French or Spanish or something, and they'll use the word concierge, which is kind of more general. It doesn't have the that nuance of separation. So I'm wondering how they're translating this stuff in the subtitles for people. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. But back on the other side of the camera, in the secret surveillance room, the Watchers, uh, played by Brendan Howley and Aki Kotabi, 
we see them again. The latter, his character is actually named uh, Diego at one point, and he's the guy who keeps narrating things that other people in the room can already see, like, she's taking it with her, and later, she's blocked our view, which has been generating really fun Captain Obvious memes on Twitter, so he can stay. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, and, and it's Sims. And that's the big reveal. It is Sims, common. And this is indeed what is inside the janitorial door. So I was not expecting that. Um, Luke, were you happy with this reveal? I don't know. I think I'm going to have to see what happens next before I can tell you whether I'm, I was happy with it. It does raise a lot of questions. So going back to episode six, like if Sims had access to this, why was he doing, like, the computer right. search for the pet? Why was he looking through those books? Why didn't he instantly know that um, that Juliet had planted the Pez dispenser? Because you would think that Doug Trumbull's apartment, like, any apartment of anybody in judicial would certainly have a camera in it. I mean, they, 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 yeah. do, they do talk later in the episode that they only have a limited number of cameras and they have to keep moving them. But you would have thought that everybody involved with judicial would be but, watched. But if Doug died and they've been moving around cameras, it's possible they took it away. But it's also possible that um, Sims did see that, but he didn't know how she got the the thing, how she got the pest dispenser. So he had to go look up like the chain of ownership of it because then he could make the connection with George that he could actually say out loud to accuse her. So I was thinking that's one possibility. Yeah, maybe. And the, but... the other thing I was thinking is like one of the main reasons I thought it couldn't be Sims uh, in, you know, in the room with the watchers when they were waking up is because the tech we saw him using in the last episode was the older tech everyone else has, not the shiny machines we see in this room. So yeah. I'm thinking that that means that janitorial is not working for judicial because those old machines were in his judicial yeah. office. Yeah, no, I think the janitors are a completely separate organization unto themselves because we'll, we'll talk about this when we get there. But I think pretty much confirms that in her conversation with Juliet. Now, I think we know that Sims is the guy that he sent for, that Sims is the guy in the room. But I'm not convinced that that means that Sims is in charge of the janitors. I don't know whether he's Palpatine or Darth Vader at this point. Because <laughs> I don't know about you, Alicia, but like Sims comes across as being really rattled in this episode. Okay, yeah. Like, yeah, he, um, every time we've seen Sims so far in the series, he's been the guy in control. He's been, he's been sort of very closed, very sort of quiet, very menacing, very much, you know, that he's in charge of the situation. And Sim seems rattled in this episode, and I think a little bit afraid, because he's constantly barking orders at the at Diego and the other techs. He is, like, frustrated. There's a building anger in Sims throughout the episode. Hmm. If Sims is the ultimate big bad here, like, I can see him getting frustrated with the situation, but I think there was fear as well, and that means he's afraid of somebody or something. So, so if he's Vader, who do you think is Palps? I still I still think there is somebody else out there that we okay, haven't so met. Okay, so somebody yet. we haven't met yet. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um all right. So yeah, so back in her office, uh, Juliet is looking up Gloria and it's confirmed that she's in long-term care. So Juliet's going to of course go barging right in there even though Bernard has demanded an audience with her first thing. And Juliet is openly keeping more secrets from Billing, which he, we know that he loves. And yeah, Billings reminds us that things are a little on edge after Forgiveness Day. 
Uh, but Juliet blows him off. And just as Deputy Karen's Angela Yo, the other deputy who searched Trumbull's apartment last week and the one who was present when George was interviewed, uh, she's radioing in. We see her also later. So they're keeping her in our minds for some reason, although not much happened with her this week. Now, as Juliet heads down the stairs to the mids to find Gloria, there's also a guy on the stairs working on some steaming pipes who seems to be staring Juliet down. Uh, who, what do you think this was? Do you think it was a, a maintenance guy, a listener? Are, are there even listeners at all or just watchers? I think I think they're probably, that's a good question. I think they probably are listeners because, like I say, we've established that the janitors can't keep like round the clock surveillance of the entire silo. Because because there aren't enough cameras, so they probably did. They probably do need the listeners there as kind of backup and to cover the blind spots in the silo. Um, yeah, I mean the camera lingered on that guy, so it was clearly intended that we noticed that that guy was giving that 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 guy right um, was staring her down. So yeah, I definitely think judicial or the janitors or somebody has got somebody is sort of tracking Juliet's movements through the silo as comprehensively as they can yeah i guess that's i guess maybe that's just you know it's probably not someone we'll see again perhaps but uh just to remind us that people are always watching juliet yeah and just to go back to something i think i said in the 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 episode four podcast the episode where juliet gets made sheriff um this is where you see the tension between juliet's um motive for taking the job and the actual job itself because she's not, she's not really interested in being sheriff. She's right. just interested in finding out what happened to George. She's interested in the access being sheriff. Yeah, the her. access being sheriff gives her. So, like, poor Billings is having to do, like, his job. Yeah, and, like, and hers. two-thirds yeah. of hers as well. <laughs> yeah. um, and it doesn't go up. And, like, there's a, there's a bit later on in the episode where they have a set to. And, like, yeah, I was with, I was with Billings in that argument. Yeah. It's like, yeah, I'm, I'm with you, man. Yeah, 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 no, he, yeah, he, he claps back friendly, but yeah. Yeah. Um, but first, yeah, downstairs, Nurse Amy is being all kinds of unhelpful when Juliet shows up until she flashes her badge. It was actually not her badge because she forgot to wear it. It's Holston's badge that she has to dig out of her pocket. So I guess we're supposed to understand that she's still not feeling comfortable in her role as sheriff. And then we see them walking past other older women who look equally out of it. And Juliet learns that Gloria has been diagnosed with advanced vascular dementia, which is dementia brought on by a shortage of blood flow to the brain. And it can be caused by strokes, but also other things. Now, I think most viewers called bullshit in that immediately. You, Luke? Yeah. I... Why do you think they specifically called it vascular dementia? I don't know. Just because just I think somebody had looked it up on like medical Wikipedia yeah. <laughs> and thought, well, why not? Sure. Be specific. Yeah, I know this thing. Well, let's put in a bit of specificity. Yeah. Because I don't think that fooled anybody for a second. Yeah. Um, and like the nurse, I actually really like this thing because the, the nurse is coming up with all sorts of reasons why Juliet can't see Gloria. Right. And Juliet is like, no, bitch, I'm sheriff. Oh, yeah. Just pull through. The, like, this is that access we were talking about. Yeah. yeah. It's just. She's like, yeah, and then when Nurse Amy, you know, finally gives in, it's like, well, I don't think, I don't think you're gonna find out. We want to find out. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, which is fair. Yeah, which is fair. Um, yeah, I, and but Gloria, she now declares when Juliet walks in that she has found them. So presumably the same them as earlier. So and she says, right where I left them by the water. Uh, and she says later, the water they don't want us to know about. Um, now, I think we're supposed to think she means her daydream family at her daydream beach in the book that's illegal. 
but I couldn't help but wonder if it was something else. Like I almost wondered if she'd been down to the digger room with George. Um, I even thought for a second when Juliet said they were going to take a walk that she meant all the way down to the digger room. But then I realized I was letting my brain go off on a tangent that probably wasn't supposed to. Ah, well, they do talk about the water later on after Gloria sort of comes to a bit. Mm -hmm. So maybe I took it that that was the water. Oh, right. Right. The water that they've been fed. Yeah, Yeah. Good point. Good point. But right next to the water they don't want us to know about? What does that mean? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, but of course, Gloria, she's not allowed to go out on walks unless it's cleared by, you guessed it, Judge Meadows. And the nurse kicks Jules out. Um, back in the sheriff's station, we get that scene with uh, Paul and his wife, Kathleen, that you brought up earlier. Uh, Kathleen played by Caitlin Zaz. And she turns up with his lunch and just to like be adorable for a second. Um, and she's got a sling strapped to her chest. It's supposed to suggest there's a sleeping baby in there, but there's definitely no baby in there. Yeah. <laughs> Luke, where do you rank these two in terms of couples we've seen so far in the show? I just hope they make it to the end of the series. Otherwise, like this, like the rest of the silences, I might riot. <laughs> because I just need one functioning couple to make it in this series. Because so far, every time people are paired off in this series, one or both of them has died. Yeah, it's funny because you know, Hugh Howey, the author of the books, he's said in like AMAs and stuff that at the time he was writing the series, He just wasn't in a romantic mindset and that he might have been kinder to the couples if he wrote it now. You can definitely tell. Now that he's happily married, he might have written some of the couples differently. (laughs) So I I have to wonder if that actually, um, I mean, we don't meet Billings' wife in the um, books, but yeah, in general, yeah, the couples don't fare well. (laughs) Yeah, the couples don't fare well. So maybe they've introduced Billings' wife into the show a bit more, just just to give us one couple that doesn't end tragically. Maybe. Please. <laughs> maybe. Um, so a porter rushes in with a message for the sheriff. It's an emergency. Um, Billings radios Juliet with panic in his voice. So you can hear he's panicked, but she still just turns it off uh, because she's on her own mission, Mission Meadows. But Meadows is not at her office. She's out sick with a cold, her secretary Taj Kandula says. Uh, Luke, do you think the secretary genuinely believes she has a cold? The secretary definitely knows that she's ill. Um, I certainly Mm. don't think the secretary is in on any... If Meadows is being poisoned like we spoke about last episode, I don't think she's in on it. No, but uh, she's probably also not uh, so naive as to... I think even the way she says it kind of suggests like she's like, she's, you know, wink, wink, sick. (laughs) Yeah, and we also find out she likes bacon and eggs. Yes, exactly. More bacon. So more bacon. Lots of bacon lovers in the silo. Um, Cut to Billings, uh, running down the stairs in a panic, radioing all deputies to report to level 26. He can't mean the whole silo, right? Like, even Hank down deep? I assume he meant all all deputies in the mid. Okay, fair. Because, yeah, by the time Hank gets there, you know, whatever's happened is going to have happened. I mean, but the 26 isn't even the mids. That is that is technically okay. their jurisdiction. The, uh, okay, uh, the so uh, yeah, yeah. I, th- I think he meant sort of every every deputy within a particular section. Okay. So, and yeah, like Charles Uche really does sell the, really does sell the panic in his voice. Because right. this is, you've got to remember, this is the first time as a deputy that Billings will have dealt with anything like this. Right. So, you know, Billings is still a newbie. Mm-hmm. You know, leaving leaving aside all the other stuff with the, the syndrome and Juliet. Um, you know, this is this is Billings' first time dealing with like a major public disturbance. And I think it's a really it's just it's just one line, but it's a really good bit of acting 
to just remind the audience who Billings is right. and that he's new to the situation. Yeah. 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 Well, it turns out there's a massive brawl in progress. Uh, there was a bar there that was trashed by some rowdy customers visiting from the lower mids or uh, wh- who weren't too happy when they got cut off for taking things too far, or at least that's what the bar owner assumes. And he starts slinging around accusations, which led to things to escalate. Do you think it's believable that Billings and Karens, uh, the two deputies, could break this up? Because the crowd did not seem interested in cooperating with several people outright like striking out at Billings. No, and I mean I think I think Billings Billings hurts his shoulder or like he has I Yeah, think, but yeah. he also he gets an elbow to the face at yeah. one Yeah. Yeah, so I, I took that as more deputies turned up off screen and right. there are a bunch of people in the cells at the moment, you know, probably reevaluating the future in the mines. Yeah. Um, right now for a for a couple of months. Um, yeah. So I'll be interested to see whether in episodes in the three episodes remaining whether we see the aftermath of that brawl. Um, yeah. You know whether the like I say I'm I'd be really interested to see judicial in action. I'd be really interested to see what a trial looks like. Yeah. Well, I in don't, asylum. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the judge doesn't seem up to for many trials. I'm curious how many I, I, actually take I, place anymore. Yeah, I mean, I took it the Meadows was the head judge. I don't think she is the only judge. I mean, I don't know. Do you ten thousand people? Do you need more than one judge? Well, it's just that Mayor uh, Johns and Bernard talk about appointing other judges on you know Meadows' recommendation. Judicial people, but yeah, yeah, okay. okay. Yeah. Yeah, but the immediate aftermath is Juliet returns to the station to find a madhouse of bloody faces and silazins and cuffs filling the holding cells. Uh, Karens and Billings are a bit understandably pissed off about Juliet turning off her radio. And Billings is like completely done with her shit, yelling, I am not done when Juliet <laughs> tries to cut him off when he's explaining how much he's been covering her ass. <laughs> yeah, Billings has no fucks left to give at this point. Yeah. And, I, and I'm with him. I'm yeah. with him. Because he's a brand new deputy and essentially he's being asked to be two thirds of the sheriff as well. Right. Um, and, and he's ill. Right. Um, That's true. So- and she knows that. He, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So I was cheering Billings on at this point. No. I was like, you 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 go you you tell her. Well, yeah, it was clearly the wake up call that Juliet needed because this is the point where she finally lets him in on what she's up to, investigating the death of George Wilkins. And yeah, Billings, of course, he knows his name uh, from the relics investigation last week, and he knows what Regina said about George and how that upset Juliet. So um, he knows that uh, Juliet had this unsanctioned relationship, and she just fesses up to it now, and she's and just you know, just says like. Uh, he made me look like a fool, but I still need to know how he died. Um, do you think we should be worried about Juliet and Billings, their relationship after this episode? I, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm always, I still don't know, quite know where Billings' loyalties lie, mm-hmm. um, to be honest, because obviously we've talked about this ad nauseum, that the judicial was pushing him for sheriff, that he is ex-judicial, but he's also helped Juliet out in loads of loads of ways by this point that he absolutely didn't have to. Yeah. And, and again, we talked about this last episode. For all that he is supposedly this by-the-book character, he's getting quite comfortable with breaking the rules at this point. Yeah, that's true. Um, so... Juliet's a bad influence. Yeah, she is. I, like, I don't think Billings would sell Juliet out to judicial because he thought it was the right thing to do. But he might do if there was some threat to his family. 
or if he could be convinced that Juliet was a threat to the silo as a whole, he would do it because he thought it was the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, not because not because it was his job to do it. But yeah, I, I'm really liking Billings. Like, right. he's not anything like the character I imagined him to be in the first few episodes where he's been talked about. Right. You actually see him. He is not that character at all. And you've said in previous episodes, he's quite a sharp departure from Billings in the book as well. Well, he's just more, he's more assertive. Like, I can't imagine, you know, um, I can't imagine the book billings like clapping back at Juliet like that. But also in the book, one thing that I would say with the the show improves upon over the book is that um, we get to see more of this relationship develop between Juliet and Billings. And I've really been enjoying that in the show. Okay. Um, but yeah, they both have something on each other. So uh, Paul knows about Juliet's uns- unsanctioned relationship, amongst other things. But Juliet really has a trump card because she knows that Paul has a syndrome. Uh, so maybe that's why he goes along with her investigation after she says she thinks the deaths of George, Marnes, Johns, Trumbull, Holston, and Allison are, are all connected. What do you yeah, think? Yeah, but like I said last episode, I can't see judicial not knowing about um, Billings' condition. And it's, it's But Heap doesn't know yeah, that they and, know. F- and if they and the fact is, for all he's trying to hide it, you know, Juliet worked it out pretty quickly. And the way that scene in the last ep- in episode six was shot with him with his hands behind his back, you know, the audience, I think, is mm-hmm. supposed to work it out pretty quickly that, that he's sick. So that is a, it is a secret, but I'm not sure judicial would care overly much at this point. I think they put him... I mean, I can see that where Billings obviously... I mean, I think if it came out in public to the entire silo, then that yeah, would that's, that's be very bad. True. But also, I don't think, I think Billings thinks it's more of a secret than it is if judicial does That's know. true, yeah. Yeah, so, but Billings, he decides to help her. He says, like, let's lean into this relics investigation that you opened last week as a way to let her keep doing what she's going to do anyway, let's face it, uh, but in a way that's above board. Um, and Juliet thanks him, and he tells her to thank the pact. Now, Luke, who do you think Billings loves more, his wife or the pact? Oh, he'd have to sit and think about it for a while, I think. <laughs> like, this is the thing. For all we've said that Billings is getting comfortable um, breaking the rules, from his point of view, he is breaking the letter of the pact to try and maintain the spirit of it. Right, okay, that's fair. And so ultimately, I, th- I still think from his point of view, his actions are grounded in the spirit of the pact, if not the literal um, letter of it and that's why I say I think he might be convinced to sell Juliet out if um, Sims or somebody else was able to convince him that she, what she was doing was a genuine threat to the silo because I, th- I think right. he is like a silo patriot basically I think he is imbued with the the value of you know the pact is important because it protects the people of the silo and I think that really does matter to him and I think that I think that's where you can see the connection between him and Sims. Mm. That they're both, yeah. Juliet's more focused on. Um, I mean, let's be honest. Like, would she really care about the deaths of like Mayor Johns and Marnes, if not for George and you know the fact that she got to know Holston a bit? Yeah, too? I mean that that's the thing about Juliet. We can take her as the the protagonist, but I wouldn't call her a heroine because her actions are basically too selfish for that. Mm. If this wider plot, you know, to do with the, the history of the silo, hadn't touched on George Wilkins or hadn't interacted with her life in this profound way, she wouldn't care about it. Yeah. 
I mean, she obviously does care about the silo because mm-hmm. she repaired, you know, she took the risk of repairing the generator. Yeah, because she does also say, like in the last episode with George, um, when, you know, she's comparing her going to steal the tape from Supply to George and his relics. And she's like, you know, I did what I did because like the silo needed it to keep going. So she sees herself as altruistic, but it's I'm going to be interested to see how that develops mm. her in her more as like the story progresses. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But for now to appease Billings, she says she promises she'll go see Bernard first thing tomorrow uh, before asking one more favor. Meadows address level 15 managers row. And he suggests that uh, she bring yeah the bacon and eggs because uh, yeah. Yeah, I don't know uh, how fast they're going through the pig population yeah. in the silo. <laughs> quite rapidly, I would think, at this point. Um, quite rapidly. I did think the man- manager's row is interesting because yeah. it's interesting that all the, the sort of senior members of the silo would live would live together. And again, that very much reminds me of sort of practice in um, communist Eastern Europe or modern-day China, like in East Germany. There was like a little, literally a little closed town outside Berlin. It was planned out around a lake. It was like, and it was totally closed off to the the public. And all the the East German Politburo lived there. And it had its it had mm-hmm. its own bakery. It had its own salon. It had its own cinema. It was a completely closed off community. And everybody that worked there was a member of the Stasi. Everybody that worked there reported back that all the accommodation was bugged so like the east german leadership was spying on itself and i sort of strongly wonder whether that's what judicial is doing okay whether that's what the 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 janitors are doing by having all the senior people within the silo live on the same level right whether that that just makes them so much easier to watch and maintain control over yeah good point good point yeah, but Meadows and uh, Bernard, they are tomorrow's problem because tonight her problem is a lovesick puppy with stars in his eyes, played by Avi Nash. Um, by the way, I couldn't help but note that there's a janitor, or is it a custodian, cleaning the cafeteria as Lucas yeah. walks in. So this show this show has made anyone with a mop seem sinister. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, Juliet's already sitting in the cafeteria when Lucas comes in, staring toward the stars, which are hiding behind the clouds for a moment. Uh, but the stars come back, and we can clearly see Cassiopeia, the W-shaped constellation. And they point to another constellation, but even with pausing, I can't really tell what they're pointing at. Uh, someone was speculating it might be one of the dippers. I don't know. Do you have any no, idea? No, not a clue. I just sort of looked at that and went, oh, stars. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. I um, grew up with astronomers in my family, okay. and uh, we did a lot of stargazing as a kid. So Cassiopeia always immediately jumps out to me. And that's believable that even people, someone who doesn't know about constellations, it's still striking. Like, yeah, the, something like that. Pattern. Yeah. Yeah, that the the Dippers, Orion's Belt. I think those are the things that immediately jump out to you. Like, oh, these these lights are always in the same formation. Yeah, yeah. So Juliet, she starts bumbling into forbidden territory as they're talking and wondering if the stars were there even in the before times. Asking Lucas if he's noticed other strange things. Uh, he seems surprised that she's going there, but also feels connected that she seems to be saying some of his thoughts out loud. And he tells her about seeing something that sounds like a shooting star or a comet. Um, he says the light that moved across the sky and disappeared. Do you think, what do you think it is? Yeah, it's shooting star, comet. Yeah. Um, 
And also he reveals in this conversation that he works for IT, which is interesting. Yes. Finally, we find out Lucas's job. He's a systems analyst for IT. <laughs> Though he doesn't seem to have any sort of relationship with Bernard, head of IT and current mayor pro tem. No, he only seems to have met him once or twice. Yeah, it sounds like a boss's boss situation. Yeah. But yeah, Luke, in your first reaction watch through on Discord, you seemed excited to learn this. Yeah, because it's just, huh. Yeah. <laughs> Why? Well, I, I mean, I, I trust Bernard a lot more than I trust Sims at okay. this point. But, but? It's, the, it's the way Lucas has shown him once or twice. I wonder, I, I, I mean, maybe I'm being overly cynical here. But mm-hmm. maybe maybe Bernard has his own version of the listeners going on here. Maybe Bernard wants to know a little bit more about what Juliet is thinking. And like Bernard knows Juliet enough to know that she doesn't trust him and isn't going to confide in him. Right. So maybe you get some doe-eyed waif from IT who's interested in doing a bit of stargazing to sit in the cafeteria that Juliet has to go through to get to her office, remember? But you are you suggesting that Lucas might not even be genuinely interested in stars? Because if that's the case... Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. I think he's genuinely interested in stars. Okay. But I think maybe Bernard had a quiet conversation. I noticed you spend a lot of time in the cafeteria. The sheriff has to go through there. If you could you know, casually strike up a conversation kind yeah. of thing. Yeah, I mean, I know other people are speculating similar online. Um, I think this is the kind of show that makes everyone seem suspicious. And maybe that's why they took so long to mention that he works for IT. Because in the books, yeah, book readers have been waiting for this reveal because it's not a reveal in the books at all. It's one of the first things you learned about Lucas. Okay. Actually, previously, when I did readings about Juliet and Lucas together, I cut out references to him working in IT because it was just on the table from their first meeting. Okay, so maybe I'm overthinking this. Then. Well, no, I mean, I think the show is asking you to question all these things. Yeah. And, you know, and I'm not I'm not sitting here to say that things are one way or another, because let's be honest, I don't even really know. Um, yeah. I would have swore until I was blue in the face that it wasn't going to be Sims. <laughs> they were waking up in the middle of the night. So <laughs> don't listen to me. But but yeah, I think I'm glad that they made this reveal because I think in the context of the show, like, you know, every sci-fi show needs a hacker character, right? And we've already already lost Allison and George. So I'm guessing that Lucas is going to help her sort through the hard drive that she finds again this episode. Yeah, that's true. Because we already know she she can pick actual locks, but not computer locks. Right. So yeah, Lucas may well come in handy. In the book, Julia gets this hard drive information with the help of the character Scotty I mentioned in a previous episode, who used to be Juliet's shadow before being recruited to IT. And uh, Hugh Howey told our friend Silo TV fans on Twitter that he'd fought for Scotty to make the show, but was overruled. So I'm guessing it's at least in part because they want to give this part of his story to Lucas. Um, okay. Because, yeah, they're going to need an excuse to smooth over the awkwardness of Lucas leaning in for that kiss and getting rejected <laughs> hard. <laughs> yeah, hit the bricks, Lucas. You've got no game. But no, I mean, I disagree, though, because Juliet definitely leaned into it for a moment. So I put up a picture on my on my Twitter um, where you can see she's closed her eyes and like is leaning forward and parted her lips before I assume her brain screamed George at her and she like <laughs> she just noped the hell out of there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, Luke, you continue to be critical of uh, Lucas's moves, I, I guess. Um, no, I think like you say, I think actually um, Lucas is, uh, I'm starting to like Lucas a bit more. Yeah. It's the first time, I think in episode five, when he put the moves on Juliet, I thought he came across 
as creepy. And now I've just, now I think I've gotten into, he's just not very, he's just not very good at this. Um, Yeah. I think there's something comforting about that after George being like a bit too good at this. That's true, actually. Um, And like you say, Juliet was clearly, was clearly thinking about it. So like I said last episode, I would, I would put good money on them falling into bed at some point before the end of the series. Okay. All right. Um, yeah, but even after she leaves, uh, Juliet's still thinking about their exchange because back in her apartment, she opens the book to a page about the Science Space Center featuring stars and constellations. So I guess she knows those words now and she can teach them to Lucas. Yeah. And of course, the camera mirror is in full view the whole time while she's doing this. So by the way, random world building detail. I love next time Juliet walks the stairs. Uh, In our world, you know, we take those seed pods from trees like maples and sycamores and we call them helicopter seeds. And if you drop them in the air, they twirl and whirl as they fall. I always think now about the Pixar movie Soul when it comes to this. They had a really good animation sequence with that. But yeah, of course, they have no trees in Silo. So they form instead like strips of paper into the same shape and drop them off the stairs, which seems like an expensive toy in this world. But uh, yeah. But still, uh, did you ever play with helicopter seeds uh, as a kid? Oh like? yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, and yeah, like I thought that was an interesting bit of world building. But I was with you. It's like, don't waste that paper. That's that's ex- yeah. that's expensive <laughs> yeah. paper. Yeah. Do you have any yeah, idea seem... how long it took the farm to grow those trees? Dry them. Are you running back down to the bottom to collect them? Yeah. Or are you paying a porter to do it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So back up in the mayor's office, uh, Bernard tells her he's received a threat and Juliet goes into Ooh, protection mode. But he's like, calm down, Sheriff. I know it's not your inclination, but I need you to listen. <laughs> like, boom. She keeps getting called out left and right this yeah. episode. And Bernard seems very tired. He seems very sort of low. I mean, I don't know whether it's yeah. just... It's just the, the, the register Tim Robbins is speaking in, but he seems tired. He seems sort of really stressed and, yeah, a little, a little, okay. a little. Maybe I'm, again, I'm reading too much into the performance, but I thought he was a little bit no, stressed, no, a little I mean, bit depressed. Probably, probably. That that sounds about right. I mean, we were worried about his alcohol consumption yeah. before. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and he says he got in trouble with Judge Meadows for stepping in when Sims accused Juliet of planting the Pez dispenser, which she did, by the way, but. Uh, the threat so brought to him by Sims is that if Bernard were to step in again, she would use the pact, she being Judge Meadows, would use the pact to boot him from office. Um, now, Luke, we pretty much know by the end of this episode that things are mostly done in Judge Meadows' name rather than by her herself. Do you think Bernard knows this? No, I don't think he does. Okay. Um, I think this is more evidence of what I've been talking about for the last couple of podcasts that but, you know, Bernard says, you know, I made it a habit to to not get in judicial's way, to go along with what judicial wanted. And I think Bernard, I'm not sure that he ever wanted to be mayor, but he wanted to be, he wanted to be a power broker in the silo. He wanted to be like a, he wanted to be like a, a behind the scenes fixer, you know, the guy that went to make things happen. And I think he very rationally thought that, that, being on good terms with judicial was key to making that happen. And the thing is, now he's mayor, I think there are things he wants to do. He wants to actually be mayor. He wants to actually be in charge of the silo. And he needs allies outside of and beyond judicial. And the sheriff's office is a logical sort of first place to go to. So I think this threat is perfectly genuine. But I also think he's using it as he's using it as a way to 
to build alliances with the sheriff's office institutionally and Juliet personally as well. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then, so in the scene, Bernard also, he goes on to explain why he thinks his job is the most important in the silo, uh, even more important than Juliet's former job, keeping the generator running. She says, cause without power, we have nothing. And Bernard responds to that. Uh, it's how the power is used. In IT, they maintain all the servers, the computing power that keeps everything in the silo running from watering crops to circulating air. Do you think he's right? Do you think that he has the most important job? This stuff sounds important, but it's also true that none of the servers would run without power. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think to be honest, the way the silo is structured, there is no such thing as an unimportant job. You know, there are there are right. on, there are only 10,000 people in this society. So I think because you can make the argument that without the farm, the, without the people working on the farm, nobody eats without the people, right. without the people in the mines. There's no fuel. Well, they use steam, but yeah, yeah. Well, without the medical personnel, you know, disease would run around. Yeah. So I don't think there is a most important job in the silo. I think it's, a, you know, it's an ecosystem um, and everybody has his niche. Yeah, but maintaining the generators and the servers have got to be two of the more important ones. And I think more, I think the most important thing about that is that they are very specialized jobs where you can't, like a porter, if something happens to a porter, yeah. another porter can start immediately. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, but I didn't really understand the nature of the threat because what is it? I'm not sure exactly what it is that Judge Meadows is threatening Bernard with. I mean, yeah. So, I mean, I think we can call it Sims, but uh, yeah. <laughs> but what judicial is threatening him with is removing him from from the mayor's office. If uh, oh, and also, uh, well, it's, yeah. So he starts to imply that yeah, judicial could try to take control of the service. Yeah, I, I got the like the esoteric reading of the pact might remove him from the mayor's office, but like. Why does he think it's in judicial's interest to start messing around with the servers? Do you think he genuinely believes that, or do you think he's just saying that to... That's the thing, I, I can't tell, because, like, like the way Tim Robbins plays Bernard, I always question his sincerity about everything. But I think this is the closest we've seen to Bernard being sincere, and he's definitely freaked out about something. Mm-hmm. Um, now that could just be the, the judicial removing him from the mayor's office, maybe. But like, I just don't see. You think what, it's something bigger? Yeah, I just don't see what judicial would get out of messing around with the servers. Yeah, what are they going to do with that? Yeah, yeah, I'm not sure I understand that as a threat. I don't know what they would do. Yeah, yeah, I know. I also question if he's just using that as an excuse to hide what he considers the real threat to be. Well, if he is, he's a better actor than he was during Marnes and Mayor John's funeral. He seemed really sincere to me here. Or as close to sincere as Bernard gets. See, I thought at the funeral was, for me, his most sincere moment. Okay. Because I, I think that's his real, like, awkward, I don't know. Yeah, you know? that's true. <laughs> I guess the awkwardness goes with the character. And it, it was really moving, talking about all the people who, you know, only knew John's as mayor. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, so Bernard, he tells Juliet that they need to find something they can use to hold Meadows back. Um, and it was in this scene, by the way, that I began to wonder if Tim Robbins had been cast because he's got like those angelic look when he smiles with like the dimples and the twinkly eyes. <laughs> um, how are you feeling about Bernard this week? Where is he on the Julieta Sims scale for you? Yeah, I'm, I'm not, I don't know whether I like Bernard, but I dislike him a heck of a lot less mm-hmm. than I did at the start of the show. And I think that's credit to Tim Robbins and credit to the writers. 
Um, and yeah, I think I think he's clearly he clearly cares about the silo and the people in it. And yes, he is ambitious. Yes, he wants to be the power behind the throne. But I increasingly think that that ambition comes from a place of genuine concern about his society and his world and and wanting to do what's right. Okay. And yeah, I think that might be what in the end connects all these characters together from Sims through Bernard all the way to Juliet and Holston. They all have different, they all have radically different visions of what is right for the silo. But I think they all ultimately, at the end of the day, are trying to do what they think is best for it. Right. Yeah. And it's true. Even Juliet, you know, she has her moments where in doing what she thinks is best for the silo or, you know, her vendetta at the moment seems kind of personal related to George. But in general, you know, when she talks about like stealing the tape from supply and things like that, she's saying she takes risks when she thinks it will benefit the greater good. Um, But then like Sims and other people, we see her doing selfish things in the name of taking these risks. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, and then Bernard drops the bomb. So Billings wasn't just hired to replace Marnes. He's being lined up as Juliet's replacement as well. It's just a matter of time, Bernard says, until Meadows figures out a reason to push Juliet out. So she better go get to the bottom of her investigation fast. Now, cut to Juliet bringing Meadows, Tanya Moody breakfast. And uh, yeah, Meadows doesn't want to open the door at first because I'm not well. But then Juliet accuses her of locking up Silazins and drugging them against their will, referring to Gloria, and then the door opens. And inside, we see that Meadows has one of the most luxe apartments we've seen yet, full of relics and glass cases, like an Etch-A-Sketch and a Frisbee disc. I used to love my Etch-A-Sketch. Do you think she ever plays with any of her toys? Luke? Oh, come on. If you, were, if you were a child in the 80s and 90s, everybody had an Etch-A-Sketch and everybody loved it. So I, I like to think she takes it out of the box every so often and just gives it a little twiddle and just plays with just plays with it a little bit yeah i feel like that's one that kind of explains itself even if you don't have a manual if you just start playing with the knobs you're yeah like, oh, you just start playing yeah. with the knobs you're gonna work you're gonna work out what it is eventually yeah has she got the pencil with it or did like everybody with a um oh right that was a did, separate did thing. you lose that little stylus yeah. thing oh i'm sure that's that centuries gone by now yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, and yeah, and as Juliet walks in, we also see Meadows push a bottle of clear liquid out of sight, which Juliet definitely clocks. And yet we see Meadows drinking what looks like orange juice, but Juliet later calls it her cold medicine with the same disdain on her face as when she noticed the bottle. Um, what do you think? Do you think uh, Meadows might be indulging in some breakfast screwdrivers? I have to say, I've watched the episode through several times and I didn't see, I missed this. Because I think I was more focused on what the characters were going to say to each other, but yeah, that does that does make sense. Because Meadows is Meadows is clearly not faking that she's ill. She is clearly she's clearly unwell, and whatever well, what she, kind of unwell? Yeah, yeah, and whatever she's unwell with is probably worse. Is probably worse than a head cold. Mm-hmm. Um, so so yeah, I and and as we're about to find out, you know. Meadows certainly has reason to be engaging in the occasional morning screwdriver. Yeah. Because um, she's clearly she's clearly not the person we thought she was. Yeah, she's a powerful figurehead with no power. Yeah. That'll uh, yeah. lead you to feeling futile and depressed for sure. Um, Definitely. 
But Juliet, she doesn't quite realize this just yet. She, but she gets straight to the point in that Juliet way. Uh, she wants to question Gloria about the relic situation, the one that Meadows signed off on in the previous episode, which she kind of barely remembers doing. But uh, Gloria has been drugged and locked up. And yeah, Meadows doesn't seem to know anything about what's going on with her. It's just some vague memory. And Juliet calls out both diagnoses as BS at the same time. She's like, Gloria doesn't have dementia any more than you have a cold. And uh, yeah, Meadows, she pushes back saying Juliet has no more qualifications to make medical diagnoses than she does to be sheriff, which is fair. Um, So it's a good thing Juliet has a doctor in the family because that was one sick burn. Yes, Juliet is going straight to the burn unit for that. (laughs) But Juliet makes Meadows an offer. Uh, If Meadows lifts Gloria's medical order, Juliet will turn in her badge by the end of the week. And she's not taking the threat of Sims as an answer. And this is where Meadows drops her bomb. She can't actually do anything. She doesn't have the power. She, yeah, Juliet refuses to stop her investigation, to which Meadows replies, they'll never let you. And she goes back to her quote unquote cold medicine while a single tear rolls down her face. Who do you think the they is in this case? I mean, I think it's, I think it probably refers to the janitors. Now, whether that refers to Sims, right? I think is more of an, is more of an open question. I think the janitors are like the ultimate authority. Unless something is going on off screen that we haven't seen yet. It looks like the janitors sit at the apex of this this invisible power structure that is mm. actually controlling the silo. I mean it does seem though that Sims is the one who's immediately leaning over Meadows. He's the one anytime we've seen an interaction with Meadows before this point, Sims has been like hovering there interceding. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean What's curious about this is, if the if that's true, if the janitors are the the ultimate authority, and if Sims is the ultimate authority within the janitors, why bother with Meadows? Why bother having a puppet at all? Why not just make Sims the head of judicial, and then, or why not make why not make Sims mayor and have the whole thing have you know have reality and fantasy yeah. match each other? Why go to the trouble of having this subterfuge, which is what makes me think that Sims is probably not the ultimate bad guy. Okay, fair point. Because if he were, why not just have yourself made mayor? It'd be so so much easier. Right, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Juliet, of course, thinks she has it all figured out already. And she's like, the apartment, the relics, you get to keep them as long as you're quiet. And we see Meadows lie back into, I'm not dealing with this anymore mode again. And the last thing Meadow says before kicking Juliet out is, you don't know anything about me. So what do you think she means by that? What is there to know that would explain her going along with this, do you well, think? Well, that was a question I wanted to ask you, because does this move forward your Carla Meadows theory in any way? I mean, I guess the question is, does she chew with her mouth open? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I I don't know. Um so I did hear Hugh Howie say that, yeah, we'll be meeting Carla by the end of the season, but I don't know if that means Meadows or if that means somebody else altogether, a new character. I mean, if she became judge and then found out she was just a puppet, I think that that would go a long way to explaining why her and Walker's marriage failed. And it might even go some way to explaining why Walker decided to decamp um, all the way down to mechanical. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a big X to get away from. That's a big X yeah. to get away from. And maybe maybe Walker knew more about the knew more about the inner workings of the silo than she has let on because maybe maybe that's why she hasn't left the workshop 
Hmm. Maybe shutting herself in that workshop is the best solution to not raise suspicion from the janitors that she is that she's onto them or is in any way sort of important. And maybe I'm overthinking that, but no, yeah, yeah. no. I mean, all valid so far. Yeah. yeah, I'm I'm glad to have at least some assurance that we'll get more. It seems like more backstory on the on the Walker side at yeah. least. So looking forward to that. Um. Yeah, and of course, there's a camera in the judge's apartment, so the watchers are watching everything. But when Sims wants to check in on Juliet's visit with Gloria, it looks like somebody has placed some flowers in front of the mirror. And it's Holston, we find out later. Uh, Sims is mad because the watchers haven't done anything about the flowers, which I guess they must have been there at least a a bit. But I I guess they're probably not regularly looking in on Gloria much these days. There hasn't been a reason to worry about her for a while, I'm assuming. I mean, that, that is one of the big questions, I think, that is developing as we get further into this mystery, which is how far did Holston get? Because he right. he, he clearly worked out that the cameras um, were there, and he clearly worked out that they were fairly ubiquitous, but how much does he know about the janitors? How much does he know about Sims? Is, what well, I guess what I'm saying is, is Juliet following a path that Holston's already blazed, or is... Is she now beyond where Holston got to in terms of solving this larger mystery hmm. of what's really going on with the silo? Um, yeah. So yeah. So how far did Holston did Holston Becker actually get in his sort yeah. of investigation? That's a good question. Good question. Okay. So we cut to Jules sitting in a hallway, feeling sorry for herself. When who shows up but Doctor Daddy? Ian Glenn, it's their reunion, probably the first time they've seen each other in 20 years. And um, I got to say, this was a welcome difference from the books for me, because it takes longer for Juliet and her father to reunite in the book, which, and it happens under like completely different specific circumstances. So I'm definitely not going to be reading out that scene or talking about that right now. But every time I read this part of Wool, where Juliet is up top being sheriff and investigating things, I'm mentally screaming at her, please go see your (laughs) father now. So I'm glad she did. What did you think of this reunion? Well, it was a reunion, but it wasn't exactly the happiest of reunions. No. And, you know, Daddy Dr. Nichols is there. You know, I've I've imagined this moment so many times and all the things I would say, and then Juli- right. Juliet just shuts him down dead. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, Juliet in this moment is actually quite cruel to her dad because it's quite, yeah. it's quite clear that, that he is trying to reach out and she is just not having any of it. Now, the kindest interpretation to put on that is that it, she doesn't want to put him in any more trouble than she absolutely has to. But on the other hand, she's about to ask him for a huge and dangerous yeah. favour. So Yeah, but it does also sound like, based on what we hear later, that she blames him for something, that for whatever happened with her mother. Yeah. Um, so that probably is also playing a role here too. And episode eight, the title for it is yeah. Hannah, which is Juliet's mother's name. So we may well find out what that thing is next week. I'm sure we will. The backstory is coming. Yeah, and we found out that uh, Dr. Nichols was transferred to this smaller apartment after dot, 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 he trails off. But I'm assuming he means after the death of his wife. Uh, We know the same thing happened with Patrick Kennedy when his wife, Darling Doris, died. And the other thing is, yeah, Juliet notices her brother's stuffed dog on a shelf. So we called that. (laughs) Dr. Nichols' apartment, I mean, everybody's apartment in the silo was small. But his seemed particularly pokey and particularly barren um so i wonder i wonder whether it was just like the housing authority realizing that all the guy really needs his apartment for is to sleep in um because the way the apartment was lit the way it was the way the set was dressed 
Like it's clear he's not actually really living in this apartment. Right. It's just a place to crash. Yeah. Yeah. But as you said, Juliet isn't here for cuddles and a trip down memory lane. Uh, she wants her father's help getting Gloria lucid. And yeah, Dr. Nichols is reluctant, of course, because this is obviously highly illegal, but it seems to be the only way to get his daughter back in his life. So he agrees to it. And um, he walks into long-term care in his doctor coat and tells Nurse Amy that he's just here to grab some medicine. Then he does like some of the most awkward sneaking around possible. So I think it's safe to say Dr. Nichols is not a spy. Yeah, the, <laughs> and the, he may be the only character apart from Julia that we can safely say is ne- is not a watcher. Yeah. Because yeah, that guy is that guy is definitely not a friend of the silo because he'd be spotted in about thirty seconds flat. He is just yeah. he is just monstrously uncomfortable with the whole thing. And also, Nurse Amy, are, are the doctors allowed to just come in and start jonesing? Um, start jonesing, ad- jonesing aspirin I mean... off you. <laughs> I mean, I suppose it's, you know, if there are any listeners who, who work in hospitals, they can verify. But I, I can imagine that's not so crazy. Yeah, I can, ima- <laughs> I can imagine it happens, but it's probably not best practice. But it's, it's probably memorable, though, because he doesn't work in that department. Yeah, so, you yeah. know, she's going to remember Dr. Nichols came by, even though he works in the nursing. Yeah, I mean, like I say, I don't, I'm not, I'm not optimistic of his chances of making it past episode eight. Well, he uh, lures a drugged up Gloria out of her bed with the promise of babies. So the thing that Gloria was never allowed to have uh, and the nursery, of course, again, being where he normally works. So he knows somehow it's not being surveilled like the other parts of the silo. We find out from the watchers that some cameras have gone down over time, so they have to pick and choose where to place them. And the doctor, of course, he doesn't know about the cameras, but he says, I don't know why, but they don't listen in here. Um, now, I can understand why they wouldn't see the nursery as a high prio spot for, sur- for surveillance, but how do you think Peter Nichols knew about that? I mean, I just think he obviously knows this particular part of the silo well. It's, it's where he spends the vast majority of his waking time is in that hospital, in that medical unit. So I think this probably goes for all of the citizens of the silo. I think if you were living in that society and if you were sort of vaguely aware that the friends of the silo were a thing, you would almost by osmosis pick up quite quickly where they were listening and where they weren't and where right. it was safe to have a conversation. Where people get called out yeah. for minor transgressions. Okay. Um, well, the doctor has some bad news for his daughter. It's going to take five to six hours for the lorazepam to leave Gloria's system, but they definitely don't have that kind of time. There's going to be a night nurse coming in a couple hours to check in on the babies, which seems like a long time to leave newborns alone, no? Yeah, I'm co- I'm going to be generous and call plot armor on this because, yeah, it's just a device for the plot because, yeah, there'd be nurses around every 10 minutes, surely. Yeah, I would I would imagine that's just something, I mean, not that you're waking the babies, but you're at least making yeah, you're sure really, they're still breathing. Yeah, you're at least breathing. making sure they're still breathing, yeah. Um, so yeah, and then when Juliet starts to get stressed, her father tells her to step back and take a deep breath. And she's like, that didn't work when I was five, and it still doesn't. And of course, this exchange is meant to show that these two characters have history, but I also think it's an important life lesson for everyone. Listen, telling someone who is upset to calm down almost always has the exact <laughs> opposite effect. Yeah, I mean, don't do it. You, you were saying <laughs> earlier on there wasn't much comedy in this episode, and that's right. But that didn't make me chuckle because oh, that made my blood boil. But <laughs> oh, it's, it's... <laughs> okay. But Juliet is, of course, she's like habitual line stepper, and she's stepping over some lines now. And her father has to remind her that Gloria is not just a machine that can be switched on and off. 
But Juliet still, she bullies her father into giving Gloria medication to reverse the sedation, which results in a seizure, which is apparently what he was afraid of, though he didn't say so. And interestingly, seizures are one of the things that lorazepam is used to sedate. Yeah. I think this goes back to your point a couple of podcasts ago. Clear communication, people. Clear communication would save so much time. But then again, then we wouldn't have gotten our reveals. So I don't know. Maybe Gloria needed to have that seizure. Sorry, Gloria. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, Julia and her dad have practiced with dealing with seizures, it seems. Thanks to Juliet's brother. We see a little glimpse of that. Uh, Again, hoping for more next week. And yeah, taking together, taking care of Gloria together is like the most we've seen these two characters bond yet. Though helping her in this case seems to come down mostly to the doctor holding her in place while his daughter feels her pulse and counts the seconds. But the seizure abates and a warm moment passes between them briefly uh, while they wait for Gloria to wake up. He basically tells his daughter that he's proud of her, but she won't tell him what's going on or why she's pulled him into this. Um, Luke, do you think that father and daughter are going to be able to rebuild their relationship? I hope so. But like I say, I don't. I don't have much faith in Dr. Nichols' uh, longevity in this show because um, given what the janitors can see on the monitors, even if they don't monitor this particular part of the hospital, they saw Juliet and Dr. Nichols go in there and presumably at some point they'll see one or both of them come out. So if they don't catch Juliet, then the next logical person for them to go and visit is Dr. Nichols. Now, that's not necessarily saying he's going to be killed. They may well want to interrogate him. They may well put him in whatever sort of off-the-books prison that maybe the janitors are running in some deep and distant part of the silo. But I think at the very least, he's, at the very least, he's liable to go missing for a couple of episodes. Okay. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, and yeah, Gloria, she wakes up confused. Um, she's confused about where she is. She's confused about why Juliet is calling herself sheriff when that's Holston's job. She seems to be unaware or forgetting that Holston has died. But at the name and face of Dr. Nichols, a memory comes back sharply. He is the doctor who did to her what Dr. Leonard did to Allison in the first episode. He told her he took out the birth control when she won the lottery, but he didn't. Now, uh, After failing two lotteries, Gloria, she figured out what was going on and she knew her husband wanted children and she'd never be allowed to have them. So she pushed her husband away so that he could go have kids with someone else. Quite the tragic backstory for our Gloria. Yeah. And her husband uh, apparently saw her with his new family and pretended he didn't know her because now she's like the crazy fertility lady. Um, And so Dr. Nichols fesses up immediately to this which Mm -hmm. i thought was interesting yeah he doesn't even attempt to deny it which i suppose is to his credit and he says that he was told to do this to stop the spread of genetic disease which i guess is kind of plausible although it would seem cruel to to let people think that they could have children if that was in fact the case yeah, I thought at first that they used a different doctor in the first episode to, you know, so that they didn't implicate Dr. Nichols in this whole like birth control gaslighting practice. But yeah, as you say, he immediately fesses up. Uh, he's just done what he was told and he justifies it that, you know, he had to do this in order to be allowed to do the rest of his job, which is helping people. He was told about this genetic disease thing you said, it's to stop the, it's to prevent the spread of genetic disease, which lends enough an air of plausibility that you can think, uh, okay, maybe I'm not the baddie, even though he secretly wondered if the powers that be were trying to punish the people they picked. But he says there are consequences to asking questions. 
So, Luke, what do you think of Dr. Nichols now that we've spent a little more time with yeah, him? Yeah, I mean, I don't know like quite how hard to be on Dr. Nichols because on the one hand, what he did and what all the other what all the other docs, the fertility doctors are doing is despicable. On the other hand, um, Dr. Nichols has been through quite a bit in his life. And I wonder I wonder whether what we're gonna find out in the next episode is I wonder whether Dr. Nichols thinks what happened with Jacob, what happened with um, Juliet's brother is some sort of retribution, is some sort of cosmic karmic punishment um, that's been visited on him for doing this. Because yeah. it, it does seem to like weigh on his soul that he did this. And also he, he knows enough to know that the genetic disease story was just flim flam, was just bullshit. So... Yeah, I mean, our inclination is to be hard on him for not like sticking his neck out. Um, but yeah, the reality is, is during times of war, during like the Holocaust, during other times, people who stick their necks out do often get their heads chopped off. So on the one hand, you can see him protecting himself. And of course, we want everyone to be the hero. But we were talking off air about the Milgram experiment. And uh, the Milgram experiments for anyone who's not familiar with it it was basically it was something an experiment conducted in the u.s after world war ii and uh stanley milgram he wanted to test whether you know people were like well what happened in in germany that's unique to germans but americans would never and so they tested this by having um subjects would come in and they were told that they were asking questions to another person in the experiment. In reality, the person was uh, was in on the whole thing. They weren't actually real. But the other person thought that they were shocking this other person every time they got an, an answer wrong. And every time they got an answer wrong, they were also supposed to turn up the voltage on the shocks. So then at some point, the person that's being shocked starts complaining about heart problems. And then at some point, they just, you know, pass out completely, it seems. And still, like more than well over 60% went all the way to the end, past the point of the other person passing out. And the vast majority, like 90% or something, went up to that point. So in reality, most of us are not the heroes that we like to think that we are when we're put in that situation and we're being told by an authority figure to do something. Uh, although, Luke, you mentioned someone. Yeah, there is an interesting factoid. One of the people that one of the people that took part in that experiment was a guy called Ron Rittenhouse, um, and he is also the guy who um, he didn't shock anybody. He refused to administer a single shock to like even the lowest setting. He refused to do it. And Ron Rittenhouse is also the guy who originally blew the whistle on the My Lai massacre during the Vietnam War. So. Yeah. Those people exist. Those people exist. Yeah. But yeah, most of us are not Ron uh, Rittenhouse, especially yeah. not Dr. Nichols. Especially not Dr. Nichols. <laughs> uh, but I do have some sympathy for him. But he's upsetting Gloria at this point in time. And so Juliet chases her father out of the room. And ultimately, she shows Gloria the Georgia book to get her to calm down and trust her a bit more. And of course, this is the book that Gloria spends all of her mental energy escaping into. So she's thrilled to see it again but she's still confused. She remembers she gave the book to her sister, George's mother, though she can't quite remember her sister's name. Uh, she remembers it again later. It's Anne. It's written in the book, Gloria. And this is where we also find out who the flamekeepers are. 
So my speculation was correct in that the Flame Keepers are the secret history keepers, but I didn't realize it was going to be Gloria and her sister. Um, there were others, of course, but now it's up to Juliet to carry on that legacy. Juliet with the dangerous book about the world that was. And yeah, it turns out also that George and Juliet's mothers were working together on that illegal magnifying device that's been mentioned before. Uh, I'm guessing we'll also learn more about that in the next episode. And yeah, Gloria says she's surprised that they let Hannah Nichols have kids. She wasn't a flame keeper, but she had the same type of curious mind. What do you think, Luke? Did they just miss her? I mean, I, I don't think this is like a, a foolproof system because right. they seem to be doing it based on people's personalities, presumably like the reports they get from the listeners. So maybe Hannah Nichols was just very good at compartmentalizing uh, right. and maybe very good at keeping secrets. Yeah, and this whole magnifying thing where she, you know, got a- arrested or whatever for building this magnifying device, that didn't happen until after both kids were born. So maybe she just wasn't on their radar before that. Mm. Yeah. And yeah, Gloria says about Hannah, when I found out what happened to her, it really felt like we'd lost one of our own. And she asked Juliet at the end of the episode if she knows why her mom killed herself. And Dr. Nichols says at another point, I know you think I betrayed mom. But Juliet isn't ready to hear whatever he was going to say after that at this point. Um, so, Luke, what do you think happened to Hannah Nichols? And how do you think Juliet thinks her dad betrayed her? No idea, but I'm almost certain we're going to find out answers to these and many other questions in the next episode. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And then, yeah, Gloria drops another bomb here as well. She says that they put something in the water after the rebellion to make people forget boom what yeah because this is what i said at the beginning of the episode why i think that this more or less confirms that the rebellion happened or something but a rebellion type event happened because i think what gloria is saying here is the rebellion sort of turned on whether or not people in the silo should or wanted to be able to commemorate the world outside and it's easy it's easy to come up with a scenario about why people would think knowing things about the outside world is bad, is dangerous, because if the world outside is poisoned, then it doesn't necessarily make sense to have, like, you know, a bunch of all these images of it that might tempt people to open the, you know, to open the lid of the silo or to want to go outside. So I can see, I can see why from a certain point of view, just on a utilitarian basis, it might be a good idea if people didn't think very much about the outside world. Yeah, no, that definitely seems to be the case where we see them constantly discouraged to think about it, to talk about it. To Yeah. 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 Um, yeah I, I'm honestly, I'm unsure of what I can say here because this actually is a concept from later in the series of books. And it's like part of the, it seems to be part of the remixing the books to make it work for TV thing we've talked about previously. So I don't want to say too much about it until the show does. But I mean, it seems you believe her. You don't, I know some people think it's paranoia. Some people just think that like Gloria might not, we shouldn't maybe trust everything she says. Maybe not, but I don't see why at this point she would have any motive to lie. So if it's paranoia, it's a story, it's being passed to her, I think she is she's telling Juliet the truth as best she knows what the truth is, if that makes yeah. sense. I mean, and it's hard to chalk things up to paranoia with her anymore, considering, okay, she was uh, she was like turning on the water to drown out the listeners in the first episode. Turns out she was right about that. She was telling Allison about, you know, the not being allowed to have kids. Turns out she was right about that. Yeah. 
So yeah, she has earned herself a bit of credibility and you know, there's gotta be a reason why they've been drugging her like that. And it that. would it just makes what she's saying makes sense. It, it fits with what we know about the silo. Um, and what we know about what we the little we know about the silo's history right and uh yeah and so then Juliet takes Gloria back to her room where she learns that Holston had been for a visit during his final days and he'd placed flowers to block the mirror the flowers we saw blocking the camera earlier but now that they come back uh while they've been out it seems somebody's taken the flowers because Gloria notices that they're gone and she also confesses to Juliet that there's something in Gloria's vent the hard drive of course um now, Luke, why do you think that Holston gave the hard drive to Gloria and not Juliet? It's say you think he knew about the Flame Keepers? I'm not sure he knew about the Flame Keepers. I think he knew that Gloria knew something about the history of the silo and how the silo worked. So I'm not sure he knew about the Flame Keepers, but I think he probably did recognize that Gloria had been right about Allison. And that therefore she knew she knew more more about what was going on than he did. Yeah, true. And also Holston, of course, had that file of George's, so he also knows that yeah. Gloria was interviewed about George's relics habit. And and I think he would also trust that you know Gloria has been living on the edge of society within the silo long enough that she would be able to she would be able to competently hide the hard drive. Whereas if you'd given it to Juliet. You know, for all Juliet's spikiness and for all she's living in the down below, as sort of deputy head of mechanical, she is actually sort of quite well socialised into the mainstream of silo society. So if you'd given her the hard drive at this point without letting Juliet take all the steps that she's taken, she might have had just handed it to the down deep deputy. Right. I don't think Holston could trust her enough to know what she would do with that hard drive if he just gave it straight to her. Right. Because, yeah, she certainly didn't seem that invested in what he was looking into. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And meanwhile, while all of this is going on, Sims has entered janitorial. It definitely looks like there might be some we talked about there maybe being some film canisters in there. Uh, I I caught what looks like it could be a glimpse of it on his left as he walks in. Uh, And there are two padlock doors between that entrance and the surveillance room. So I'm actually surprised if they have film canisters, that's not where yeah. they would keep them in the surveillance room, but whatever. <laughs> um, how many people do you think know about this room? Because at one point I counted like six people in there and you'd think they must work in shifts, yeah. right? Like those two guys get to sleep, I hope. Again, like, and, the, and this is the thing, they must be completely isolated from the rest of the silo because like if you're the head of the janitors, how do you guarantee that one of them isn't going to just, you know, one of them isn't going to say something incriminating in casual conversation, isn't going to forget themselves, isn't going to, like, leave clues around at some point. So I'm guessing that that, that they must, there must be, like, a separate little set of um, cells, apartments, separate little section to the silo that they live in and they don't actually interact with them. Well, I just you think-, think that seems almost cruel to, I mean, to, yeah, say you can only yeah. ever know each other. I don't know. No, Sims-, Sims doesn't do that. But Sims said that people who work in janitorial, people might think you're something yeah. else. You can't tell them your real job, but I don't think it's that they can't mingle. I don't know. I just think the size of the, because this is the reason why I don't believe in UFOs. Mm-hmm. This is the reason why I think Lee Harvey Oswald did shoot Kennedy. Because, like, in conspiracies that large, somebody always says something to somebody at some point. Right. Like, too many people would have to keep that secret in order for, in order for it to stay secret. 
And like, I, I just can't believe that for 140 years or however long the janitors have existed, nobody, nobody has slept up. No, you know, nobody has slept up once, unless, unless they were completely isolated, or, or they did, and they ended up like Trumbull. That's true. Right. That's true. And then you know, it becomes a lot less appealing to do that. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, inside the room, everyone's in a panic because they've lost track of the sheriff because she's gone into that blind spot. And they finally catch sight of her again when she's wheeling Gloria back to long-term care. But then Juliet in Gloria's room, she susses out what's been going on with the flowers and that they're somehow being watched through the mirrors. Uh, so she says the jig is up, throws a blanket over the mirror while she retrieves the hard drive from the vent. So of course, the people in the surveillance room, the watchers, they don't know what she did after she blocked the camera, but they do know she's on to them. And that's enough for Sims to sick the big dogs on them. Yeah. I've got to say, Sims is not being particularly helpful no. in all of this. It's just like if I were one of the techs, I'd go, yeah, Mr. Sims, we're doing the best we can. <laughs> Sit down, <laughs> calm down, stop shouting. At, just stop shouting at everybody. You're not helping. Pass from hell. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and this, this goes back to what I was saying at the very like top of the podcast. Sims seems genuinely rattled, and there isn't much in this world that rattles Sims. Right. Um, and I think I, I think it's not just that he's annoyed. I think he's frightened. And again, that brings me back to what is he frightened right. of and who is he frightened right. of? Right. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, so uh, for now, the episode ends with the secret police's task force being sent to go deal with Juliet. But when they enter Gloria's room in full riot gear, Juliet is gone. Fin. End of episode. Also, I'm going to say subtle, guys. You know, just pounding down the stairs in full riot yeah. gear. No, no one's going to notice like half a dozen heavily armed guys. I mean, but that's, that's clearly, it's clearly at the point where Sims is so rattled, as you say, that he's willing to do this because there's no way he thinks that this is any kind of secret when he, when that happens. Yeah. Well, that, well that's the thing that if they were willing to do that, then why aren't they willing to have just killed Gloria off at some point? Well, that's the, before the story I mean, started. I think they just didn't have a good enough, reason to but that's the question now like are you said you're worried for dr nichols are we worried for gloria are we worried for juliet no cause, like I'm, I'm i'm certainly worried for juliet and dr nichols i'm worried for gloria that she's gonna get shot full of drugs again right well that seems certain but i think i i don't know i think there is some reason why they need to keep gloria alive because if there wasn't she'd be dead by now okay do you have any thoughts about what you think will happen next other than the backstory of juliet's family I'm guessing we'll have a, an episode cut together from flashbacks and I'm guessing Juliet trying to avoid the janitorial goons that are charging around the sideline. Right, okay. Um, so it will, it will probably be sort of a split episode across two different timelines. Um, like I say, I don't I don't think anything's going to happen to Juliet. Um, let's be honest, because um, Rebecca Ferguson is a producer and I think if anybody has plot armor on this show, it's Juliet. Okay. Um, but I am not at all confident what happens next to Dr. Nichols. I think he could be very unpleasantly interrogated by the janitors because he's the only other person that knows that knows anything about what uh, Gloria and Juliet were discussing that isn't Juliet or Gloria. Right. 
Um, yeah, I mean, they certainly are going to have footage of him going into the place that Gloria disappeared from, and obviously they know whose father he is. And also, how is Sims going to explain having, you know, half a dozen guys in riot gear tromping around the silo? Yeah, this is like a point of no return regardless. Yeah, because people will notice that. There's going to have to be a cover story. And also, they're going to, presumably, they're going to want to frame Juliet for something as well just because they're going to want help from the rest of the population to try and find her i guess okay yeah fair yeah i i assume they're not going to say that juliet has a has a book that nobody's allowed to look at because then everyone's going to want to look at the book no i don't think i don't think they're going to go that far but yeah it just it does go to show like just how rattled the janitors are that they're that they are reduced to resorting to blunt force very visibly. Right. Yeah, and I like I wonder it can't be easy to hide in the silo because it's a small one heavily populated right. um space. Right. To say nothing of the fact that it's under like twenty four hour surveillance, yeah. constant surveillance. Yeah. So Which Juliet is now aware of, yeah. Yeah, hiding's gonna be gonna be tricky. Gonna be a real challenge. Uh, So, yeah, so this episode definitely got people talking and we got a lot of theory crafting feedback and questions coming up soon, as well as our own final thoughts after a quick commercial break. Now opening the listener feedback channel. All right. We've got a lot of feedback this week, so let's get right into it. Um, This time we're going to start with the feedback we got on Reddit. Now, the first one comes from Xerxes1 and they said, I really enjoyed the pace of this episode. It flew by, but also had a lot of world building and revelations about characters. Actually, the more that's revealed about the silo, especially the fact that most people know that they are constantly being watched by judicial and the friends of the silo, and a handful are aware of the mysterious quote-unquote watchers, I'm surprised that there isn't constant unrest. I know that we were provided with an explanation regarding how the watchers control the population, but obviously it's not completely successful. The biggest question I have is regarding training for specialized work, medical and IT, for example, wouldn't the study material fall under the category of pre-silo before times? Uh, Other questions from this episode, how are they producing sedatives, other injections? How have they not run out of medical supplies in over 140 years? Not to nitpick, but there was no nurse or doctor taking care of that baby in the nursery. (laughs) Okay, well, uh, I have a million more questions, but I really just wanted to let you know that I've enjoyed your podcast. So thank you so much, Sir Xyz. And yeah, uh, we talked a bit about the baby in the nursery, so we'll skip that one. But what do you think about the other questions, Luke? The question about what you would do with like educational materials. Yeah, like right. that, that is an interesting question because some of that has to be, some of that has to be from the before times. Like even if it's been copied and redone and, you know, done in a different format, the knowledge itself came from the before times. So particularly when you're talking about chemistry or agriculture or stuff like that then yes i suppose there is like an irreducible minimum amount of stuff that people in the silo must know about the before times just in order to to function right yeah i mean of course they know how to read they know how to make bacon and eggs you know um how to make hush puppies but yeah, I think when it comes to the more complicated stuff like medical supplies, that is a good question. But you have to assume they must, of course, have been making it this whole time. That must be knowledge that they passed down. Um, but actually, an, another Reddit user, an otter driver, had direct feedback to this. So I'm just going to go straight into that. And they said to Xerxes, all your questions raise good points. 
As for the biggest one, yes, clearly there is a fair deal of specialized knowledge that would have needed to exist when the silo was built and be documented in the original manuals for the first generations to continue surviving. Keeping in mind, we don't know the reason for the silo to have started, nor what the first population may have brought with them in skilled knowledge from their pre-silo training. Uh, Some major inherently pre-silo subjects would be mechanical engineering, power generation and climate regulation, and agriculture and animal husbandry. You need these to even build the damn thing and then keep it going. But if you're implying they shouldn't have this knowledge, if we are to believe all their books were burned and they have no clue how or why they got there, well, it's possible they're just mostly taught by direct observation on the job, and it's just how it's done, or the way it was taught to me and every doctor before, like being a shadow. Also, it's possible judicial selectively allowed some pre-uprising training material to resurface as a legal relic after being stripped, rewritten, censored to limit curiosity and the potential for rebellion. It's also possible that some medical and technological advancements were introduced along the way, snuck into the training between generations or discovered in one way or another, if you believe that there are external forces at play and thus contact with the outside. So, regardless, if some of their training materials are based on pre-silo knowledge, I suspect whatever they are using to train specialists is highly redacted or disguised as relearned and possibly on a regular basis so as to not create doubt and curiosity. Like editions of a textbook, it's totally plausible that the people in charge would have made changes to either add or delete information. Thoughts? Yeah, I mean, we see this happening and we see similar things to that happening in the real world all the time. So... We can see this kind of thing happening with school textbooks in the occupied parts of Ukraine right Right. now. So, you know, because for my for my job, I follow I follow as many different Ukrainian um, social media accounts as I can. And like the the textbook, not just the textbooks for obvious things like history or literature, but like science textbooks have been taken out of circulation and rewritten to give the credit to basically to give the credit to certain inventions to um, Russian inventors rather than Ukrainian ones, or even just to alter the the way things are spelled, to alter them from being written in Ukrainian to being written in Russian. I mean, even in the US, we see a lot of controversy right now over what's allowed to be in the textbooks, what we're allowed to teach our children about history. Exactly. So yeah, I mean, that Reddit user, I think, has it pretty much spot on. But it is an interesting question. Like, there must be an irreducible amount of knowledge that has carried over from the before times into the silo. And, like, Lucas doesn't know stars are called stars, but he knows right. they're there. And he's worked out that, that they move, that they move yeah. and that they move in a pattern. Mm-hmm. So it's not like all curiosity about the outside world has been stamped out, even after at least right. 140 years. Well, what does Gloria say in this episode? They can't breed the curiosity out of us. No, but they seem to be trying really hard. Right. Okay. uh, Juicy Apple says, I think the choice of relics in Meadow's house is symbolic. Her playful spirit is behind glass. She seems to have much, but isn't actually free. I'm also not sure if she has a syndrome or is simply alcoholic. Well, yeah, we already addressed that. Lastly, when Holland tells Juliet he's afraid of Meadow's power, he could be lying and just trying to throw Juliet off. He could be implying the power of the janitors, watchers, etc., that people think are behind judicial, but maybe it's just a front and the actual power is behind him and they're good at hiding it. What do you think? Oh, that's an, that's an interesting point about Bernard. I don't think Bernard knows what's going on. I think he is... No. 
I think he is genuinely afraid of Judge Meadows. Then again, I think they've left enough sort of wiggle room in the plot that I'd be surprised if Bernard knew what was going on, but I wouldn't be absolutely stunned. And it wouldn't it wouldn't be like it wouldn't make any sense that he didn't right. know what was going on. Okay. I guess we shall see. Um Farius says too bad Juliet didn't understand Holston's note sooner. Uh, nice to see where the hard drive was. Looks like it's finally going to be some action going on in future episodes. This show appears to be setting up a power dynamic between judicial and IT. Uh, what do you think, Luke? Have you been missing the action the last few episodes? No, actually. And I, like I say, I, I agree that I think the last three episodes are going to kick up into a higher gear. I agree. Um, but no, I've have. I ne- I've never thought of this as an action adventure series. I've always sort of thought of it as a more as more sort of a character study and a, a, an, right. ex, an exercise in world building and, and, and sort of the, the politics and the mystery box element. I've never really thought of it as a series with a lot of action in it. I mean, there the was episode three, I guess, which is quite, which is right. quite action packed. But other than that, it's been, it's been a much more philosophical show than an action packed show. Well, it seems, yeah, the, the bits of action episode three aside seem to happen in small bursts, like Juliet hanging over the rear. Yeah. Uh, Sims pushing, um, pushing Trumbull over these sorts of things. Yeah, yeah. the fight with Marnes in his uh, short-lived yeah. fighting ring of one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and white paper bag says, "Poor distraught Lucas. I think he was probably looking back on that scene with him and Jules, like the rest of us, and knowing how awkward it looked for everyone." Crying emoji. <laughs> Uh, and now we know this Lucas as well works for IT. They're drip feeding us Lucas content this season. Yeah, they are. They are, and I can imagine. I can imagine Lucas going back to his apartment and yeah, just crawling into bed and feeling profoundly un. You know, prof- the world is an unfair place, Lucas. The world is an unfair yeah. place. This is definitely a sleeping with the blankets over your head. It kind definitely of is. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and yeah, White Paper Bag goes on. So what are your thoughts, theories on Meadows and the extent of her knowledge and the extent of her sickness? I saw someone make mention that we've only ever seen her drink anything but water. And it was revealed by Gloria that the water is drugged in this last episode. Another reveal I wasn't expecting so early. Um, I definitely think there's something behind those special beverages of hers. Jules even makes a point to call out her quote unquote cold medicine, which could just be alcohol as much as anything else. I think it'd be interesting if they used Meadows to show the effects of spiked water as a way to help ready the viewers for more shift content, shift being the second book. It seems like drip feeding small amounts of future material is how they're prepping the audience for later massive reveals or changes. What do you think? Ooh, ooh, that's interesting. Because does that imply then that this program of drugging the water actually has made people in the silo more compliant? Good question. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, it is an interesting point that, that you you've never seen you've never seen Judge Meadows drink the water. You've never you've never seen Sims drink the water either. I think the only thing you've seen Sims drink is that beer in Manza's apartment. Although no, although sure. presumably that was made with the water in the silo. So maybe maybe right. the maybe the process of fermentation kills whatever they put in there, but well, I mean, but that's like that's what they used to do in medieval times in yeah. Europe is that the the water wasn't safe to drink, so they would just brew like low alcohol beer and drink that instead. Yeah, cuz you've got that's what they did in Europe and in Asia they discovered tea. Okay. Um so yeah, um yeah, boil that yeah, shit. Yeah, just boil yeah. it. Um <laughs> yes, that's that's interesting. I mean, you've probably got without spoiling too much, you probably got more to say on that as a book reader than I do as a non-book reader. I mean, 
I think uh, whatever White Paper Bag and I have to say about this, we will say in DMs okay. until okay. more is revealed. <laughs> um, La Barouf says, I had been asking myself why she didn't understand why he wanted her to put more flowers. I wished she would have seen the camera and removed the mirror. Glad she found the hard drive. By the way, love the fact that they just touched the hard drive that looks like a really old SCSI one to read it. No ribbon. Laughing emoji. So the silo really is run by the janitors. Interesting twist. Um, yeah, so I don't know if Juliet understands how they're watching them through the mirrors. They did flash to the camcorder, but to me, it seemed like she, you know, when she's thinking about the mirrors, she thinks about the camcorders. But to me, it seems like a giant leap since she doesn't really know what the camcorder's for yet. No, I, I think what she's thinking of is the scanner outside the silo, you know, the, the, the camera, the camera right, the, they go to clean. She does mention the sensors, yeah. I think that's the leap she's making. Yeah. Yeah, I think that that makes more sense. Yeah, because I hope that, you know, that camcorder is like Chekhov's camcorder right now. So I'm hoping that they, Martha's fixed it enough that they are going to find something to play on it. And, you know, we're going to have some big reveal okay. that way. Fingers crossed. If ever we do merch, I demand we do a t-shirt with Chekhov's camcorder on it. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I'm, yeah. I'm in, I'm in. <laughs> And yeah, and of course, the uh, Juliet to Sim scale. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, we've talked about, did you think the janitors may be the top dogs? Maybe not. I just... Hard to say. Yeah, I, they, they were, I mean, maybe maybe I'm reading too much into this, but there's, there's something in Common's performance this week that just leads me to believe he is not the top dog. There, There is, for all the anger that Sims is, that Sims is... Directing towards those texts, there's fear behind it, I think. And also, if Sims was the top boss, why not just make himself mayor so that the two power structures of the silo align with each other? Why bother having this elaborate charade of having Judge Meadows and a mayor and a sheriff? Why not just if Sims. Because the pact says so. Because the pact says so. So, who wrote the pact? That's what I'm saying. Hmm. It just feels like it makes more sense. For there to be somebody above Sims. Right, okay. It, it doesn't quite make sense that he would be the big bad. Okay. Um, yeah, so him, them, lesbian, left a long bit of feedback saying, they hope we see more of Walker's backstory soon, me too, uh, but also some other points and questions that we're going to tackle one by one. So they say, I wish it hadn't been another cliffhanger, which, I don't know, I kind of like the cliffhangers, but what do you think? No, it's, it was a great cliffhanger as yeah. well, actually, because, like, Julia has got, like maximum 30 seconds to get out of there before the before the jackbooted fascists come storming through that door yeah. um so I'm, I'm gonna be really interested in just in terms of how where she goes to hide yeah so, yeah i actually thought it was a really well set up cliffhanger yeah yeah and they say i want to know who all the secret raid team is i assume summer janitors in the day today and probably maintenance is the bulk of these people since so many people have mentioned that not questioning them and they're apparently so scary they can just go into people's apartments as they please um i guess they're just ready to deploy as the secret police whenever how many janitors maintenance peeps are in on it and what percentage of judicial is in on this it seems like a good amount of people are in the know here as at least on a surface level like the doctors but with so many people as raiders, watchers, it must be a hard secret to keep completely. It's touching on kind of what you were saying. Um, yeah. And they say, I guess it's the middle of the night, but surely someone will have noticed some heavily armed, more <laughs> heavily armed than normal, I assume, people busting into medical, especially since Jules could hear them coming. Unless Judicial does this sometimes, and that's why everyone is so scared of them. 
I mean, I think even if this is the kind of thing they do sort of semi-often, you still need to come up with some kind of explanation, a cover Mm. story. Otherwise, you know, the rumours that are going to start will just be too much to deal with. Mm. Like, people who are just not going to go around their daily lives and accept that this kind of thing randomly happens every so often. They're going to want some kind of explanation. Right. Okay. And they continue, I want to know if there's something on the camcorder or if it's just a way to let Jules know cameras exist and why um, her mom was building a microscope and why exactly strong magnification isn't allowed. Elevators make sense because people stay somewhat isolated and can't make groups like the flame keepers silo wide, but I don't understand the magnification. So, okay, I'll respond to that. Um, I'll just say that the magnification rule isn't called out in the books but it makes sense in the context of that world. I think there are several reasons why they included this rule, one of which is that it prevents the advancement of technology. So in episode five, when they're talking about this, Martha said the tiny circuitry in the camcorder is what makes it such a forbidden relic. If they can't magnify, they can't create intricate technology that small. But obviously someone has created the computers they use and IT maintains them. So I'm curious where the boundaries to this lie in the day-to-day life. Yeah. Does the rule apply to everyone equally in, in practice? Or, you know, it seems like maybe not. Yeah. And I mean, the, the, the thing about the elevators, that's interesting as well. I hadn't thought of it from that point of view. But yes, I suppose it does make forming sort of silo-wide groups. It doesn't make it impossible, but it makes it much more difficult, right. much more time-consuming, and right. much more public, I would guess. So yeah, that does make sense. Yeah, and they go on, I hope we learn more about the syndrome. I feel like it's more than just a genetic sickness and is connected to the memory loss drug in the water. Maybe a sensitivity to it? Are they putting the drug in the water always or on an as-needed basis? The flame keepers are probably recent enough to warrant the drug, but if Jules doesn't remember them, it must be mostly forgotten now, unless people in the mids and up top were more aware of that stuff. And how well does it work when Gloria clearly remembers things very clearly when she's sedated? Um, so two quick things about that. One is that I don't know that the flame keepers were like widely known. I would imagine that, you know, the watchers obviously were aware of them, but I don't know that random people in the silo were. So that's my one thought. And the other thought is that I noticed when I went back and was watching the episode again, I noticed that Gloria, she said that they put it in the water around the time of the rebellion, but she does not say whether or not they're still doing it now. So it's quite possible that that's not something they're doing now. So that's No, but I, I like the idea of the syndrome being an allergic reaction to the drugs. I think that, yeah. I think that, that makes a lot of sense. And it's, yes, she does say it was around the time of the rebellion, but you would need to keep doing it with every with every generation that came into the silo to keep the effect up. Well, you just need to do it for... There's the people who physically remember the rebellion and then their children will only know what's told to them. I suppose. But it's it's not just to kill memory. It's to, I took it, it was to sort of make people more compliant, more sort of... Not to like zombify people, but just to make them sort of generally compliant. Yeah, but I think a lot of the making them generally compliant is, again, by like making them forget that they had anything to be upset about. Yeah. That was how I thought Yeah, possibly. I think that's an open question as to whether they're still using the drugs. And I think actually... Yeah, that wasn't clear. Yeah, I think think the the syndrome as a side effect, as sort of an allergy to the drug, I, I, I really like that. We get such interesting feedback. I know, I know. Smart people. Yeah. Um, so one one more bit uh, from the same person. I hope Jules tells Billings uh, about all of this and he ends up being on her side. I like him. 
I don't trust Bernard at all. I can't believe he can run IT and not be aware of the state of, of the art tech Sims has. And I also don't fully trust Lucas since he's IT, but he's curious, so maybe he'll be okay. He's definitely bold going in for a kiss already. I can't imagine how Jules will get out of this. She's going to go hide out with a digger or something, unless they know about that too, dot, dot, dot. Yeah, I mean, going to hide out in the digger makes sense, but she's got a lot of ground to cover between medical and that and that digger. So, yeah, a sort of the a sort of a long-term hiding place. That makes sense, but I don't know how she gets from from A to B um without without being spotted. Because yeah. the the digger is the digger's way down and there's only one pair of stairs, yeah. Yeah, she's basically somewhere towards like the upper middle bit yeah. of the silo. So yeah, she'd have a long way to go to get from one place to the other. Yep. All right, switching over to Twitter. Um from We Are the No at Hineri. One theory that stuck out is that the year is somewhere near 3050 because that's the code common put in the keypad for that secret room. Now I have to I have to admit I didn't notice the code, but do you think uh, there's anything there's anything to that code meaning something? Who knows? I mean, like maybe I, I we I don't think we have enough information no. to even guess what time it is. Yeah, I'm definitely going to be looking out to see if this number thirty fifty pops up anywhere else. Okay, okay, yeah. it's a good, it was a good catch. I didn't actually pay attention to that. Yeah. Quick editorial interjection. Uh, after some discussion on the wires from the deep discord, I went back and looked at this again, and it looks like Sims is either entering 3035 or 2035, probably 3035. So, okay, moving on. Um, we also got Abby at uh, S-C-E-G-F-U underscore. She says, oh my God, so many new questions or old. Who is really pulling the strings and why? Well, this is your question. Uh, the janitors are sinister AF, but is Sims really the big baddie? Would be too obvious, too easy. He might be in charge of the janitors, but seeing as he had to search the database for the dangerous Pez dispenser, seems he doesn't have all the answers either. The real string puller would. Flame keepers concept. Love it. Lore keepers, storytellers, the very soul of humanity. Erase them and all you are left with is robots. Uh, yeah. Abby, I absolutely love what you said about storytellers. Uh, and yeah, Luke, I know that you definitely agree with the rest because... Yeah, we, we, we've we talked about that at length. Yeah. Um, next up is from Aliyah at Hail Romanov on Twitter. So many questions. Does Judge Meadows work with Sims? That one tear she shed while she and Jules were talking about they. It looks like she's been through a lot and I don't know what side she's on, good or bad. I love the stargazing scene, even though it was through a screen. Such a cute moment. Lucas does have a curious side to him. I wonder if he's going to get tangled in Jules's investigation later on, and if his crush on Jules is real, or if he has other intentions. Well, I mean, I think it, I think it was telling that this was the episode they revealed that Lucas works in IT, and the episode where Juliet finally gets her, gets her hand on the hard drive. Yeah. I mean, they, they did this much more artfully than what I'm about to describe, but it does remind me, have you ever seen the 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 um, Ron Howard adaption of the Dan Brown novel, Angels and Demons? Yes, yes. I, I went through a Dan Brown phase. <laughs> yeah, the, there's that great scene in that where, like, Ewan McGregor is talking to Tom Hanks, and he just out of nowhere blurts out that he knows how to fly a helicopter right. for no reason at all. And it's like, I wonder if that's useful information that we will come back to later. Yeah. Now, I think, in fairness, the writers handled that much more subtly. No, definitely. 
than Dan Brown did, but... Yeah, but it is it is curious because you know the readers we we've known the entire time. Well, we didn't we know in the books Lucas works for IT, but then people are like, well, does he not work for IT in the you know? But then yeah, laying it out this specific episode is like okay, well, we needed somebody techie back in the cast, so yeah. And uh, yeah, so Silo TV fan says I liked that they included the forgetting medicine already. I also thought it was good to show that Meadows is just a pawn as well. But I have a very singular reader frustration at the moment. It's been seven episodes of really good TV, and I'm still no closer to figuring out how the responsibilities are divided between IT and judicial. And also they could and should, in my opinion, have included more of the book. The pace is officially too slow for me. Um, Yeah, I I did notice a lot of readers especially struggled with this episode, seemingly much more than non-readers. Do you think there's a divide? Um, I think the the best sort of example I've encountered of this is watching is watching Game of Thrones, having having read the books, and like the the first series of Game of Thrones, pretty much beat for beat sticks to Game of Thrones the book. But what you end up with is you end up over the course of the series, they make small changes in one season that lead to bigger changes in other seasons because once you've made that one small change it's kind of like throwing a pebble in a pond you know the, the ripples right. the ripples go out from there so um so no i mean i didn't have a problem with this episode but i i can get how sort of from a book reader's point of view those small changes can have big consequences yeah i mean um, I, down the line i think the biggest part is probably that just like we're so excited to see certain things happen and it's just taking longer to get there because they're building out sideways more so I think that's where some readers are feeling the frustration. It's just like, just show me the cool bits that I know are coming, you know. <laughs> but also, I would say to Silo TV fans, given what we've learned of in this episode, does it really matter what the relationship between judicial and IT is? Because these organizations clearly aren't the people running the show anyway. They're the monk. They're the monkeys, not the organ. Riders. Okay, so you think it's neither of them is in charge. But who do you, okay, so you think there's like a secret power, another secret power within the silo? No, I'm still going, I'm still going with the theory that this is some massive experiment. Okay. And that Sims, Sims is like maybe the, the junior researcher. He's like okay. the doctoral. The man on the scene. Yeah. yeah. He's like the doctoral student in this okay. experiment. Okay. Okay. Um, okay, and next up we have uh, Janaid Badar, at Janaid Badar 20, and he said, didn't like the name Flame Keepers, to be honest. I don't have any issue with this term. It's nice, but it just didn't feel right for this show. I don't know, something like Truth Seekers would have been a better name. There were Flame Keepia in the 102, spiritual advisor to the leader and guardians of the Flame AI. Just my personal opinion, and I have to say, yeah, a lot of people have brought up the overlap with the 100 in terms of using that term. But I think for my own reasons, as we've discussed before, that maybe this is just like this Keepers of the Fire, Flame Keepers. This is just a concept in humanity that we've passed down for generations. And that's why it keeps popping up. Yeah, I mean, I wonder how, whether he knows anything about the Potawatomi and, um, you know, Native American law. I'm or going whether, to, whether, whether he I'm, actually took the concept straight from that. I'm going to guess no, but we can certainly ask. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, and Janaid continues, so Holston knew about the cameras, but what about Sims and Co? Did they know that Holston knew about it? Did they try to stop Holston? Also, 
Lucas and Juliet is a big no from me. No chemistry. (laughs) (laughs) I'm ignoring the last part, throwing it away. (laughs) Listeners, it's a good job you can't see the expression on Alicia's face right now. I sucked a hard lemon, yeah. She sucked a hard lemon. Very sour lemon. Um, so yeah, leave it, leaving Juliet and Lucas to one side, because I want my co-host to keep speaking <laughs> to me. Um, yeah, I think that's one of one of the big questions, like I said earlier on, it's just how far did Holston get? And how much did they know about... And how much did they know about, about what he might have known, yeah. I think it's clear that Holston went outside because he wanted, he thought Alison was still alive and he wanted to be with her. But I also wonder, is there was another factor in that, that he would rather take his fate into his own hands and sort of see what was out there than wait for the janitors to catch up with him, maybe? Right. Okay. Um, so we have from Stu at Doob 71. Ooh, did they just put stuff in the water to get, quote unquote, certain people to forget the rebellion is a smokescreen cover story? How many are there in janitorial? Is Sims the puppet master or just a puppet himself? This is a very common question. Uh, so many questions, but love how this show sets up the questions, but is equally quick to answer them. Love how Judge Meadows has been set up as all-powerful, but she's just the front for Sims. I think Luke called this out in the last pod. Uh, what's going on with Bernard? Arg! I need all the answers now for this season. Um, and he adds, my wife commented early in episode seven, what's with the consistent use of the Fibonacci spiral, the spiral staircase, the emblem of the silo and the ammonite? Is it relevant to the story or just a theme? Um, and yeah, as far as the Fibonacci spiral, also known as the golden spiral, it's basically like a very mathematically satisfying spiral that turns up a lot in nature. So for example, yeah, the shell fossil follows that pattern. And it it is something we've seen come up again and again in imagery for the show. So along with like the mechanical motifs, biological motifs, including the DNA helixes. Luke, do you have any thoughts about how these things Yeah, I mean, I don't really have any thoughts about the Fibonacci spiral. Um, Yeah, I mean, I do. I do sort of wonder whether that symbolism is trying to convey like a message to the audience or whether it's trying to convey a message to the to the citizens of the silo um to come back on my own um i had kind of worked out that that sims was um sort of shadowing judge meadows but i hadn't worked out that she was completely powerless so i don't want to claim more credit than yeah okay okay also um just to, to go back to the the payoff thing i love the fact that within like a minute of the episode starting, it had paid off that Sims was the guy they were going to wake up last episode. Right. Like, I think a worse written show could have dragged that out for episodes and episodes if they right. wanted to. I think it's it's so much more effective that they just said, yeah, this mystery solved. It's Sims. Move on. This is not what we're interested in. Right. Um, yeah, I, I, I think that's it's a real strength of the writing that they're not afraid to set mysteries up and pay them off relatively quickly. Yeah. Yeah. And I also found interesting in what Stu said that he seems to think that it's possible that the forget juice in the water was actually to make people forget that the rebellion didn't happen. He calls the rebellion a smokescreen cover story. Um, But you said that you're feeling like this, as of this week, you're feeling extra confident that it probably did happen. I think Gloria gave us a rationale as to why a rebellion would happen that there were basically two schools of thought about how you handle the memory of the outside world. 
And I can see both sides of that argument. I can see why you'd want to preserve it in terms of preserving, you know, history and where humanity came from and culture. But I can also see if you are trapped in the silo, why torture people with the memory of a world that they can no longer access? Right. Why tempt people to want to go outside? Right. All right. Um, Geek in Review at The Geeks Reviews says, just seen this week's very fast paced up. Does Bernard have a noticeable alcohol stress issue in the book? The guy looks worse every week. And so, yeah, the, the Bernard drinking thing seems to be new for the show. And it's interesting that we now have two characters who potentially have an alcohol problem. Though in this world, I would imagine there'd be a lot more. Yeah, but thank thank you for somebody else picking that up. Because I yeah. definitely said, I think, last week that Bernard in both of those meetings in episode six was buzzed. And yeah, he's definitely, I don't know whether he's ill in this episode or whether he's just, just stressed. But yeah, there is something in that meeting with Jules that, that tells me something is badly off with Bernard. Not to the same extent as Judge Meadows, but just, yeah, there is something not right with Bernard at the moment. Like physically not right with him. Okay, yeah, no, you guys are being more observant on that front than I am. I did notice, like, we, we haven't seen him drink in a little while. Um, <laughs> That's true. <laughs> maybe he got to the bottom of uh, men, yeah. uh, John's stash. Maybe it's, maybe it's all gone. Maybe that's why he's stressed. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so switching over to Discord, and uh, for anyone new to the podcast, we are part of the Lorehounds Discord. There's a link in the show notes, and we have a special silo channel there, so you can hop in there anytime and give us your thoughts about the show or just talk with other show fans and there's also you can talk about other shows on the server like ted lasso and barry and a bunch of other things um so from the discord skip underscore intro says hi i'm new on this server and i wanted to say how much i'm loving the show and also the podcast will shift just as well i have a quick question regarding dates in the show do we have a current year that it's set in I saw Silo Year 87 on the hard drive when I paused it, but I also got a screenshot of Allison in Holston's flat with a blanket on the wall with the date May 5th, 26. Did they start measuring years again after the rebellion? Oh, in they put the rebellion in quotes. Thanks. Um, so yeah, during the premiere episode, we saw Mayor Johns give a Freedom Day speech, and she said that the rebellion took place six minutes, six seconds past six o'clock on this day, 140 years ago, which means three years before the current timeline of the show. Um, so yeah, we're 143 years post-rebellion now. And I definitely think, yes, that they started restarted the dates with the rebellion being year zero. Um, so that would mean that Holston and Allison had been married for about 14 years when she went out to clean, which is sad, but timeline-wise, it works out. Yeah. But of course, what we don't know is what year it is in relation to the, the to the real world, if you see what I mean. So yeah. the, there's the, the comment a moment ago that it might be the year uh, 3050. Yeah. It could well be. We have absolutely no idea. Right. Yeah. But with, for their internal date measurements, it does seem like they reset to zero with a, with a rebellion, which makes sense. Yeah. Um, and Scribe Jack says, episode seven, I think the picture book basically confirms that they've been in the silo less than 150 years. Otherwise, the pages would be crumbling. Plus, these new drugs they've introduced that can make people forget, inhabit the silo, make up the rebellion and drug, gaslight everyone until everyone believes they've been there forever. Why? To lower mortality rates, maybe? If you're born in a place and think that's the way it's always been, you're more likely to be content? Question mark. Yeah, I agree with the point about the storybook. And the reason I say that is for work, I have to deal with a lot of old documents. I have to go into archives quite a bit. And... 
paper and ink degrade remarkably quickly. Um, so if you are handling documents from, say, immediately after World War Two, which I've done, so right. from the from the late 40s to the early 1950s, so just sort of 60, 70 years ago, you need to handle those documents incredibly carefully. Um, and a lot of the time, admittedly, this is like they've been typed on a typewriter, but a lot of the time they're not particularly legible. Maybe it's better paper than... Yeah, maybe it's better paper, maybe. Um, but yeah, I, again, this is probably grossly overthinking it, but yeah, mm-hmm. I don't think that book is 150 years old. I don't think it would be in that good a condition. Okay. I'm going to go with that I, I think uh, I think it's convenient for it to... I don't know, but or maybe there's better paper. Um, <laughs> yeah. Maybe, yeah, well-preserved. It doesn't seem like Juliet's being careful. She's not wearing gloves when she handles it or anything. No, but no. Mom, she wouldn't know to. She wouldn't know I, to. I've got to say, my archivist, uh, my archivist brain went, use gloves. Yeah. And also, you should be you should be putting that on a rest. You shouldn't be holding it like that. Yeah. Um, okay, so Rebecca Fan says... Episode 7 equals Rebecca's best episode since Machines. She explored so many more emotions, especially Jules's vulnerability in a few scenes, being chewed out by Billings, coming to terms with who George really was, dealing with her dad, etc. Maybe Allison's doctor was in on the birth control scam, but likely didn't know the whole truth. That makes sense now. I wondered why Sims didn't nab Jules as soon as he saw the book. Maybe he wanted to see where she went with it. Too bad Bert and Ernie lost her. <laughs> sort of afraid for Juliet now. It seems she's in more immediate danger. Are you worried for Juliet? Um, like I say, I would be worried for Juliet yeah. were it not for the fact that Rebecca Ferguson is a producer of this show. Um, That's fair. Like I say, I think my main worry is Dr. Nichols and possibly Gloria, but... I think if anybody is going to survive this season, it's going to be Juliet. Fair. If they really wanted a plot twist that would that would knock my socks off, then yeah, Juliet being sent out to clean would be the, that plot twist. Okay. All right. Sherry says, just watched episode seven. Feel like we're going 100 miles per hour now with the reveals. So the camcorder is not a relic, but what are they using to record people behind the mirror, right? And Juliet just says, screw it, and lets uh, them know that she knows by covering the mirror. But do you know why she killed herself? Gloria asked. It seemed it didn't just have to do with Juliet's brother's death or that there was something more to it. Looks like we're going to find out all about Hannah next episode. Can't wait. And, um, yeah, I, I still, I would still call the camcorder a relic, and I still think it's going to come into play where we're going to find out there's either something on there, or we're going to find like maybe there is film canisters in uh, janitorial that we're going to get to play. Chekhov's camcorder. Yeah, Chekhov's camcorder. Although I have to say, the film canisters—they looked more like a projector setup, not like a camcorder, which would have like one of those little. Tapes yeah, that that would be very lost. That would be if they had yeah. to if they had to, to like a projector. Yeah. Um, Rocky Zim says, excellent episode. I had a feeling Meadows was more of a puppet than actually in charge. So, so many reveals and still more questions. I know they said it has been 140 years or so since the rebellion, but had a thought. What if it was not that long ago? Like maybe Gloria was on the outside at one time. Her dream may be a memory of the ocean. Like maybe they have had some people in for a long time who may have been outside before, and then they started erasing memories and getting rid of rebels. Interesting how they can't get more cameras uh, and have to switch out and replace some. That makes me think they are isolated from the outside world or wherever they are, because you think that they could get new ones if there was a system outside managing the silo. 
What do you think? Yeah, now that that is an interesting point. And that really does cut against my idea that it's all a massive experiment. Because, yeah, you wouldn't need to move the cameras around. You'd just get new ones. So, yeah, that's a really good point. I don't think what Gloria was experiencing was a memory. I think it was pure imagination. Um, yeah, I agree. Like, if they were swapping people in and out of the silo, I think I would need... I, I'm not saying it couldn't happen, because I'm not saying anything couldn't happen at this point. But I'd need to see a lot more evidence that that was happening before I sort of went right. with that as a theory. Okay. And uh, for our final piece of feedback, Davey Mack says, I just got to say, I like it in stories when even the people in power have to deal with limitations, like not being able to have cameras everywhere and having to pick and choose where they surveil makes it more interesting and believable than if they just could see everything. Yeah, I agree. That's a really good point. All right. Well, that's it for the feedback channel this week. If you'd like your feedback discussed on the next episode breakdown, I'll pin a tweet to my Twitter profile and post on the Silo Series subreddit to collect feedback as soon as the episode goes live. And of course, you can always find me on the Lorehounds Discord. Uh, please get your feedback to us by Saturday to be included in next week's recording. Um, so Luke, final thoughts on the Flamekeepers? Really enjoyed the episode. think it set up a whole hell of a lot of questions for the last three episodes. People have talked about the pacing. I think we're going to be racing for the finish line now. Yeah. Can't wait to see what happens next. Yeah. And so as we discussed before, the next episode is called Hannah, Juliet's mother's name. And the official Apple TV summary reads, new information causes Juliet to see her family's past differently. And she finally gains access to the silo's biggest secrets. Uh, now we've talked a lot about the family angle, but what do you think are the silo's biggest secrets she's going to get access to? She might well find out more about the more about the janitors, or who they are, and hopefully, I'd like to see I'd like to see some sort of confrontation between Juliet and Sims. Whether that happens next episode or whether we have to wait for episode ten for that to happen, I'd like to see Juliet and Sims have a no bullshit conversation about what's going on. I, yeah, I have to agree with that. Um, I. I I love in shows in general when people just like have those no bullshit conversations, as you said, like everyone just lay your cards on the table. Can we all just properly communicate? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's it for this week. Will Shift Dust is a member of the Lorehounds Network, publishers of this podcast, a channel full of content just like this, talking about other books and shows like the works of Tolkien and Ted Lasso. Check out our new MC Universe Across the Spider-Verse review episode that just dropped on the Lorehounds feed with David, Jean and I or start with our preview episode that is online as well. And look out for more episodes with the guys and guests coming soon about Jedi Fallen Order, One Piece, and more. And as for Wool Shift Dust, Luke and I will be back around uh, the same time next week. Make sure you're subscribed wherever you listen, and it'll pop right up in your feed when it's ready. Five-star ratings also really help us, as does telling your friends. Um, now, Luke, where can people find you? They can find me at, at LukeMidup on Twitter. And I also do like a live first reaction to the show on Friday afternoons, UK time, because myself and Alicia, we obviously watch the show multiple times before we record. So if you want my initial unfiltered thoughts, um, come along to the Discord on Friday afternoons, UK time. Okay. And you can find me at Alicia CB, and both those Twitter handles are spelled out in the show notes. And we'll be seeing you next week. Until then, you'll find us in the down deep with Martha Walker investigating Chekhov's camcorder. So want that t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs>
Hey there, still there? It didn't feel right to leave this podcast without giving you at least one reading related to this episode. So I came up with something that fits. I've seen a lot of discussion online about Juliet's characterization in the show and how she seems maybe a bit rougher. Any regular listeners will know that I definitely objected to her punching her shadow in the face in episode three. But overall, I do think that we're seeing the Juliet from the book. And I have a passage here that shows that. Now, this passage, it refers to the character Scotty, who I've mentioned before. He is a book character who didn't make it to the show, and he worked in IT, and he helped Jules decode the book version of the hard drive. So at this point, just to set this up, uh, she has just received a message from him. You know, he's been helping her decode this, and he says, come immediately. And so she goes tearing down the stairs to the IT department, and when she arrives, she's greeted by someone at the desk. Can I help you? A young man in silver coveralls asked from behind the gates. She approached. Sheriff Nichols, she said. She waved her ID at him, then passed it under the gate's laser scanner. The light turned red, and the gate let out an angry buzz. It did not open. I'm here to see Scotty, one of your techs. She tried the card again, with the same result. Do you have an appointment? The man asked. Juliet narrowed her eyes at the man. I'm the sheriff. Since when do I need appointments? Again with the card, and again the gate buzzed at her. The young man did not move to help. Please do not do that, he said. Look, son, I'm in the middle of an investigation here, and you're impeding my progress. He smiled at her. I'm sure you're familiar with the unique position we maintain here, and that your powers are... Juliet put her ID away and reached over the gate to grab the straps of his coveralls with both hands. She pulled him almost clear over the gates, her arms bulging with the sinewy muscles that had freed countless bolts. Listen here, you blasted runt. I'm coming through these gates, or I'm coming over them, and then through you. I'll have you know that I report directly to Bernard Holland, acting mayor, and your goddamn boss. Do I make myself clear? The kid's eyes were wide and all pupil. He jerked his chin up and down. Then move it, she said, letting go of his coveralls with a shove. He fumbled for his ID, swiped it through the scanner. <laughs> 